Hi, and welcome back to Coco Disaster. I'm Shorps Away. And I'm Jordan. And we're here, in the middle of the season, to do our middle of the season review show. As we do. We were worried, with a couple bonus things going on, that we weren't going to be able to do it, but we did it. We did it. I watched a lot of anime over the weekend. For you guys. We did it all for you. Yes. And a little bit for us. But mostly for you. Mostly for you. Because it was definitely too much for me. <laughs> there were a lot of shows. Yeah, I guess there were. And, yeah, we ended up watching a lot. So we'll be excited to tell you about them. But first... Let's talk some some news. Let's talk about the news, baby. Tell me about it, Huey Lewis. So I think first up, one of the um, oldest I feel like anime fandom pranks is n- no longer valid. <laughs> okay. You know all those fake uh, all those fake season uh, previews. They're like, oh, Haruhi season three and whatever. All the things that people really want but never happen. I've never seen anything like that. Okay. But that sounds well, really funny. Well, one of them what has always been a new uh, season of Full Metal Panic, which is now happening. Oh, wow! What? Nice. Yeah, they're making Full Metal Panic for uh, next fall. I, I think can't believe is. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, uh, I was shocked hearing it too because all, all I could think of is like, oh, now people don't have any jokes to tell <laughs> when they're like, oh, what's the fake anime coming out to get people excited about? Uh, uh, Studio Zebek is handling it. Um, which, it was Kiwani originally, right, that did Fumofu and all the other Full Metal Panic stuff? Uh, I don't know. Okay, I think that's true. That is before my time. It's moved over to Zebek, which is a subsidiary of IG. Okay. And it looks like it has a pretty decent staff on it, people who worked on the other Full Metal Panics, like, as directors and designers and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like I've only watched Fumofu, so I don't know if I'm actually, like, into Full Metal Panic or really know much about it. Because I, the only thing I can remember is, like, an episode where they learn to play soccer, and I feel like there's supposed to be more robots <laughs> in this show. Uh, there, like, there are some robots. Okay. But I guess it is more, like, uh, pr- predominantly Metal Panic. Okay. And also, I'm looking it up right now, and the first season was done by Gonzo, and the rest was Kyoani. Okay. Yeah, so that's... I mean, I thought that that was something neat, because it feels like that... It's been, what, like, 12 years? Like, it seems like it's been, like, forever since the last... Well, first of all, the novels and the anime. I think the last movie came out in 2006, because I remember that coming around... Coming out around the same time as the first Haruhi season... Okay, and also, I think the the actual, like, um, series novel was finished in 2010? That could be. This has been a pretty big break. Yeah, it was a manga for it last year, I think. Or it started last oh. year, and it's still going. Okay. I know that we, we, don't, we didn't get all of it here in America because Tokyo Pop was handling that, and that died. Yeah, well, they're back. <sighs> Just I mean, like the Empire. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was cool. That's a neat uh thing to see, like, come back. Yeah, that might be cool. Especially after so many people, like, kind of clamor for it. Yeah. And speaking, sort of, of Tokyo Pop, coming out of this is, there is now a publisher that's launching a service to release light novels in English. So, I guess, in like, as a, um, as a publisher, they're going to start putting more of their own stuff 
out and kind of introduce more people to that okay uh lucrative genre it is they uh i think it's i think it's supposed to be a, an online service like uh like the sort of um like the shonen jump app and stuff like that oh okay and so the, on their first list it includes occultic 9 which you know that's got an anime now that's going to be pretty big mhm something about that show is big uh, yep that's true <laughs> 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 oh, oof 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 oh. And then the other ones sound like your uh, your more typical light novel fare. Okay, so the title's long enough that they d- don't need to be mentioned, <laughs> right? Okay, and lots of little sisters. Oh, but you know, I I as a as a medium that still is something that doesn't come over to the West as often. Yeah, uh, I mean, Yen Press, one because there's a lot more words. Yen Press does uh, some light novel work. I think they only get really popular stuff, like they do Asterisk War. They got, um, they probably got Sword Art Online. I know I've seen those in English. I think, well, that's, oh yeah, that is a light novel, that's right. Uh, they also and I've do, seen, I think I've they seen do, Dungeon, Dungeon Pickup Ladies. That's them too. Quest. And they also do Monogatari. I think that's them. Yeah, those, those are, I feel like more recently started coming out. I don't feel like that's been as right big. But yeah, so they pick up like the stuff that they, they know has crossover like popularity. Okay. But this one might be a little more open, as it were. Because I don't think I actually recognize uh, any of these besides Occultic Nine. Well, name some of them. Maybe I will. Uh, Brave Chronicle the Ruin Maker. Yeah, that doesn't... That sounds fake. Um, (laughs) My little sister can read kanji. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Okay. I know of it. My big sister lives in a fantasy world. I don't know that one. All right, well, those are all the ones so far. I've heard... Okay, I've heard enough anyway. (laughs) Uh, so it's gonna be a, it's gonna be like a membership sort of thing. So it's a four fifty a month, or f- about fifty dollars a year to do that. That's not so bad. Yeah, and they have plans to like do more series, kind of start out, and I assume that whatever is popular will continue to get done. Okay. But that's neat, you know. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to see more things from unrecognized mediums pop over here. Yeah. Even if it is a little, I don't know. It it kind of fills the same gap as like young adult literature in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of dying out, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like I do, I haven't heard anything out of young adult literature since The Hunger Games. I think the Divergent movies are still happening, and that's basically it. Okay. Yeah. As far it just as I know, like anyway. It certainly there certainly hasn't been any like massive successes. I yeah. feel. That's I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're getting that new Harry Potter movie. A bunch. Yeah, we are. Magical Masters and Where You Find the, the Pets. What? That, that one. Yep, that's you, that was it. Monster word for word. You got the title super, exactly right. Harry Potter's Super Monster Quest. No, that's the sequel. Oh, okay. That's got uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Dumbledore in it. Oh, okay. Oh, moving on. Okay. So, uh, you're familiar with Kaiji, right? No? The the manga series? I don't... What's it about? That's the... It's the high-stakes gambling one. Maybe? Um, it's the one with the really awful-looking anime characters, because they have huge, giant, pointy noses. Oh, yeah, I know about that. Okay, I thought you knew more about Kaiji. No, not particularly. Okay, so they're... Uh, <laughs> so Kaiji is about high-stakes gambling and a lot of, like, life-or-death sort of gambling. 
Uh-huh. And they've decided they're going to make a VR game based on one of the more um infamous uh games from that series, which is uh Steel Beam Crossing. Okay. Which is basically you cross a steel beam over a giant expanse where if you fall, you fall to like the street and die. Oh. And there's all kinds of other like weird sensations that go on with that. But it's like they're making a VR game based on this like horrifying fear going on. <laughs> I've seen a VR game that was in, um, I believe it was somewhere near Akihabara where yeah, you oh, have yeah, to save I, I a cat that too. from like an extended bridge at the top of a tower. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like there's that there's that similar sort of fear, and that's that just seems terrifying. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to do put myself that. through that. I can do without that. Yeah, I don't. I don't look. I already feel enough fear just living. I don't need this. <laughs> Make that the new subtitle for the podcast. <laughs> oh, I wonder if it's going to play out exactly like the sort of the manga because there's all sorts of like things that come out of it, and like you'd have to really feel sort of the fear of that, like a guy holding a knife to you when you're about to fall over and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Maybe you There's... could get an assistant to hold a knife against you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe it would just be uh, an arcade entry. I don't think it says what it would release for. Yeah. So it's possible it's just an arcade uh, installment. That's still neat, though. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Finding new, exciting ways to, to do VR as, like, a performance piece. Yeah. And finding new, exciting ways to be scared. Yeah, to to cause fear. Because I'm telling you, all these other ways to get scared are just becoming too pedestrian for me. Yeah, taxes, Jews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unemployment. The eventual heat death of the universe. Uh, voter fraud. Uh, uh, what are other scary please. things? Get out of here. <laughs> oh. Speaking of scary, the director of Deadpool is working on developing the CG live-action hybrid Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Wow, that is really scary. That is, like... <laughs> Isn't it, though? The shortest scary story in the world. <laughs> like, I heard... I, the Deadpool movie was not bad. It no, was it, was, it was pretty good. That's what I hear. But it's weird, it. it's weird to push anything attached to that to Sonic. I don't know. You know? I, I think if you clean up the Deadpool humor a little bit, it would fit Sonic pretty well. Maybe it is a lot of like kind of wacky, you yeah. know. You can make him go Sonic X gonna give it to you. <laughs> Just control F ch- uh chimichangas with chili dogs. I was going to make that as the exact trip. same joke. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> uh, uh, I, instead of Coloss- Colossus, Colossus is basically Knuckles. Oh, you're right. Uh, and I guess Amy would be uh the Negasonic uh teenage warhead. Negasonic it's not as weird of a pick as you think. Yeah, okay, but that's cool. Um, yeah, I had forgotten this movie was happening again. Mm-hmm. You know? No, like, yeah. I feel like, it get, I feel like a lot of these sort of things get announced and then just never go anywhere. Yeah, like, when's the Five Nights at Freddy's movie finally coming out? Oh, God, I forgot that they announced that, too, huh? It's just one of the. It's, it's just one of those things that I always feel like. Yeah, they announced it, and then they would have immediately like just stopped production. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, it's it's going, and you know what? I, just like Sonic. depending on yeah, depending on how it looks, I might actually look into it. Like, like having the Deadpool guy on there. If that's just the, I mean, it's not the writer, but the director's on there. I feel like there's going to be some of that energy at least there mm-hmm. that might make it interesting to watch. Yeah. 
Making a live action animation hybrid sounds weird because like I wouldn't even make Dr. Eggman just a person. So I don't know yeah, why. Dr. Eggman as a person seems weird. Because then it's going to be like the Sonic 06 sort of one where he just kind of looks like a pudgy dude. Yeah. And not like a cartoon With character. weird legs. Yeah, yeah. Unless they get Danny DeVito, then it's okay. Okay. It's like Sonic in the AM, but live action just seems like really weird as an idea. Yeah. We'll see, though. Yeah, we'll see. You know? We'll see. And speaking of movies, Hayao Miyazaki's back. He is. Don't call it a comeback. He's only been gone for three years. <laughs> and, and before that, like a couple more years, and then... Right. So, he was working on a CG short for the Ghibli Museum. Mm-hmm. It was about and, a caterpillar, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Boro the Caterpillar. There we go. And apparently, at some point, he was not satisfied with the project as a short and presented a different proposal for a feature-length film. Okay, <laughs> So, great. he's he's got another movie idea, oh, and he's going to work on it. Is the caterpillar thing canceled, then? Uh, it will not be completed for about another year, but it's still happening. Okay. It's just that he also has this other movie he wants to do right after it's done. Yeah. I saw the, uh, the, I saw a video. I don't, I think it was like just on TBS or whatever the Japanese, uh, main broadcasting stage, station is, uh, where it was him during the production of the, the other thing that just came out of Ghibli, the red, uh, the red turtle, the red turtle, the one, the, the one with that, um, French studio. Yeah. Where he, at yeah. one point he says, I can't believe I'm think thinking about making another movie. So I guess it, he, Felt motivated again. Yeah, because I remember uh, another quote out of that was like, he was really excited. He would have been really excited to have worked with that team. Yeah. That did it. And maybe he will. I hear that movie's not doing well, though. That's kind of sad. Yeah, that's not a surprise. Because it, it does seem like a really like neat idea, if nothing else, mm -hmm. to do kind of a dialogueless movie in this day and age. It's not even in the in the art theater in my city, and they usually get like the, the important anime releases are they they got the ghibli movies at least i haven't seen anything about an english release either no which is weird because considering it's such a multicultural team multinational team that worked on it you know mm -hmm. i think uh miyazaki is hoping this film is done before the 2020 olympics in tokyo yeah that's cool i'm, that I'm glad he's back me too <laughs> sort of like he needs a break he got a three-year break but he's it seems like he's just one of those people that can't stop making things. Yeah. And that's and, and in a way that's like admirable. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Although it, it is sad to see that uh Ghibli's resources continued to get pulled back to like its oldest guard again and again. But I kinda wish more like young directors could get a shot with that like money. Even his son. Yeah, and they do from time to time, but you know, those movies don't make money. And then they got to get the big names in again so they can actually keep the studio afloat. Like, I feel like they do make money. It's just not the gangbusters that everything that Miyazaki's name is attached to pulls in. I guess not. Because I feel like even the ones that aren't, like, as widely regarded tend to t just bring in ridiculous amounts of money. Like your ponios and stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, ponio, but if you think about, you know, all the movies that came out that you probably couldn't even name off the top of your head... The Arietti? Is that, was that, that wasn't Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, I mean, there's like, 
There's the Wind Rises, he did that. After Poppy, there was uh, the, the one by his son, which was up on Poppy Hill, I think. Okay, right. There's that one. Then the Wind Rises. Uh, which was Hayao. That was him. And then the that same year, there was also the Tale of Princess something or other. Oh, the Tale of Princess Kaguya. Kaguya. And then after that, there was when Marnie was there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it definitely feels like his are always the ones that get more attention, maybe just because of name recognition. Yeah. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, it seems like the other stuff they're doing is at least competent, you know? Yeah, sure. It's usually really good. Like, I can't think of one of their recent movies that I think is bad. Honestly, of the post-Panyo crop, I think Panyo is probably the worst one, even though it's still really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they usually good. The Ghibli stuff. I, I just feel like I've fallen behind on Ghibli stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Need to catch up at some point. Uh, release news. This this is all the big, big, big stuff. Uh, Funimation grabbed uh, Nichijou out of its uh, rights hell. Oh, yeah. So that's cool. Uh, so that'll finally be released on DVD and Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Though it will not get a dub like a lot of other things. Presumably... Just because they they picked it up probably exclusively for release. Yeah. But that's nice that that actually finally got somewhere and can be legally, you know, accessed. That is really good, yeah. They also got the... I mean, maybe you were going to mention this already, but they got the release rights for Wolf's Reign. Yep, they got Wolf's Reign. That is really good. I'm glad about they that. They got Scrapped Princess. Yes. And I think those are the all big ones that they got. They got a couple other smaller ones, but mm-hmm. those are the big ones they got. And then they also finally announced that they've licensed Dragon Ball Super for an English dub. Okay. Which everyone has been all the time clamoring for. Yeah. And I don't I don't know what was stopping them. I I I had heard that the issue was that Kai was still airing. That makes and sense. Toei was waiting until they had TV rights as well. Hmm. Yeah. Which would make sense, but I think they said, like, the first ten are already dubbed and they're just in production. So we should be seeing something out of that soon. Alright. And not only that, like, uh, every other, uh, <laughs> every other, um, streaming website picked up, uh, picked it up for, uh, English subtitle release. Oh, right. So, like, yeah. I think it's on Crunchyroll, Daisuke, and Anime Lab. <laughs> like, I, all over the world, now it's available. I think it makes sense to not reduce uh, excitement surrounding the broadcast of Dragon Ball Kai by announcing that there's this newer thing also coming out. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But now everyone also has Dragon Ball Super, and they're, like, releasing it in chunks for their backlog. Okay. So, however you prefer it, you can now, you can now access Dragon Ball Super, which that's nice. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, some miscellaneous stuff, I guess, at the end here. Okay. So, um, the Oscars have four anime movies submitted to them. Whoa. And there's a total record of 27 films submitted for consideration for the, uh, the Academy Awards. Wait. Uh, of, in, the, in, of the in, ones of import. In what reg- Okay. Of the ones in regard that we, we would care about here on this anime podcast. Right. We have King's Glaive. Oh. We have, uh, Miss Hokusai. Yeah. We have the Red Turtle. Okay. And we have Your Name. Alright. Which Your Name did a theatrical release in LA specifically to get yeah. the Oscar poll, and they're going to be doing an official release and everything next year mm-hmm. for English. Yeah. 
So wait, what was you said? Twenty-seven movies. What did that mean? There are twenty-seven movies in consideration for whatever's going to be cut down to the five. Oh, okay. Well, it's ten now. Yeah. Oh, did it already get cut down to ten since uh, the last been, time I saw this? It's been ten. Uh, we're talking best picture, right? Yeah. Or just best animated feature. This is for animated feature film. Okay, that is still five. Yes. Okay. It's going to be really messed up when Kingsglaive doesn't win Best Feature in general. Yeah, right. It's probably going to lose it to something lame, like, uh... Sausage Party. Like, Baby Boss. Yes, yeah. Trolls. Yeah. Trolls? Sorry, I'm looking at this list of submitted films. Oh. (laughs) Uh, it loses to, uh... I don't actually recognize a lot of these, and I don't know if that's because I'm just not with it anymore, or I'm, like... Like, Kubo and the Two Strings is there. Yeah. Right? Uh, sure, Ice Age is there, like, Finding Dory, like, those. And then I see something that says, my life is a zucchini? That's not a thing, right? Like, that's not a thing I should have known about, no, right? No, that's probably some okay. porn film, I guess. That sounded way, way more disdainful than I wanted it to. Yeah, we don't mean to be mean, but, like, that's just... Okay, yeah, it is a, um, it is a French movie. Alright. Okay. Well, that explains that. Okay. Just worry... Okay. But yeah, so there's... So we have a, a hot four on the list, which, you know, I, it gives a better chance for anime to be recognized. I know that usually they get snubbed, even if they make it to the final, like, you know, five. Right. But I like that the, the push is still there. Yeah, me too. Although I don't know what... I'm not saying Kingsglaive needs to win it. Uh, but that's exactly what you're saying. But I don't know what else would. I mean, Kingsglaive is like the is a, a joke part, but I'm also not sure what... American animated movie deserves to win this year because obviously it's not Sausage Party. Uh, and Kubo looks great, but it isn't like the story isn't that great. Finding Dory is all right, and I haven't seen Zootopia. And, and those are the, I think, the big ones. Wait, Mona's on here? Is that actually releasing before the end of the year? I did not know that. I thought that was 2017. Uh-huh. Yeah, I could have sworn. I didn't think it was out. But, um, yeah, like a lot of the other stuff on here, I just, I don't know what else would win. I mean, I hear that your name is, like, sort of, like, Oscar Beatty and that it's very pop and it's very, like, uh, accessible. Okay. In a way that I'd, I think a lot of the other movies that have made it in there before, like Princess Kaguya, hmm. Boy and the Beast maybe aren't. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I do like that they continue to try, if nothing else. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, your name, uh, it, it got bounced... Ba- it got bounced off of the number one spot for one week thanks to the release of Death Note Light Up the New World. Uh-huh. But is right back up to number one where it belongs. I guess Death Note didn't light up the box office. Hot damn! It's made like 18 mil- billion yen now? Yeah. Your name, I mean? 18 and a half billion, yeah. Yeah, so it's... I think it's the currently the sixth highest grossing film of all time in Japan? Oh wow. Something like that. That is pretty nuts. Yeah, that's it's it is wild how big this has gotten. Cause I, I remember they've also extended like theater time and stuff for it. Like it's just yeah. absolutely huge. Like it's projected to uh end at about twenty billion by the end of its theater life. God. Which puts it at the second highest grossing Japanese film in Japan. Hmm. Beating out Princess Mononoke and Hal's Moving Castle. Oh my god. The only thing that would do better than it, if it hits this projection, yeah. is Spirited Away, which right, is a, of course. a 31 billion, so. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. You know, 
there's a there's an extra leap there to make. I think the weirdest part about your name is that every time they had to add an extra zero to the amount of money it made, they also had to add an extra dot to the end of the name. <laughs> so it's just your name dot dot dot. Yeah, it's like Hey Joe, but a lot less exciting. Right. Your name. Mm. And like it's it's like a we like your name has also become like a huge pop culture thing, like all kinds of inspirations and stuff. Like they're opening up like matchmaking events specifically for fans of the film to talk about and get to know other people. <laughs> oh man, so like it's, it's like... a speed dating it's a speed dating thing, but also it's themed around this movie. So we're talking like frozen level popularity. I think even bigger than oh, that. Oh my god. Well I mean what I was gonna say what Frozen is to America, but Frozen is more popular in Japan, so I guess that's not really good that doesn't strengthen my point. And I, I mean I, I in a sense I get it because the thing is about like creating relationships, like yeah. as far as I understand from the movie. It's just like it's just weird to see something be this big yeah. and successful. Because I feel like there are a lot of things that want to do it and so they set up all these things that fail. Mm-hmm. But your name is just like a a, like a runaway success. It is like a bizarre juggernaut, yeah. And I cannot wait to see an English release of it. Like, I'm super excited. Me too. At this point. You know what I'm not excited for? What? Uh, the American Ghost in the Shell movie, because it looks like trash. Didn't that new trailer just come out today when yes. we were recording this? Yes. How bad is it? Okay, so it's pretty bad. Uh, the So you know what the major looks like in, like, the main character looks yes. like? Yes. So imagine if the entire leotard was the color of her legs in the like the anime. Okay. So it's she looks like she's wearing a ballet leotard and it's really awful. Mm, and the wig still is bad. Yeah, from what I've seen. The, the wig still looks pretty bad. Um, the oh the name escapes me, but the guy with the eye things. Oh, I know who. Okay, um, I know who you're talking the about. The Colonel, either way, he looks really weird as well. Um, Beat Takeshi looks weird, but that's because his hair has to fit the stupid anime hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. It's man. I know you can't. You obviously can't tell from the trailer. Uh, it definitely looks like they changed the story, which is going to be a big deal to someone. So to some people, that doesn't really bother me. Uh, I just wonder if they managed to turn it into something that's good because. I got major Deus Ex Human Revolution vibes from it, and I think Ghost in the Shell deserves better. Okay. I don't know. You know what I am excited for? What? They've announced a Neko Atsume live-action film. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which, you know what? If it's just a movie about a dude hanging out with stray cats, I'm all into that. Me too. These looks like some good-ass cats. On, on like, the props that would, from, that are just straight from the game. See, this is just getting closer and closer to me getting that pancake pillow that I want. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, those are good pillows. In the I game. know. Yeah. yeah, this is, this is, this is cool. That sounds very wholesome and, like, something I would want to watch. Like, they're, they're putting a story around it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's fine, you know, like, th- to, to make some kind of emotional connection that isn't just, Oh, here's some cats. Because they already did that live stream for Neko Atsume. Yeah. Like, now to to put, like, a story around it and make the cats have a better connection. That seems neat. That's cool. Neko Koro connection. Oh, good. I like it. You're welcome. Anyways, that's all the news I had. And I think we learned a lot from it, and there's some interesting things happening. But the most interesting thing happening right now is that anime is airing. Yeah. You can watch it. Mm-hmm. It's, there's never been a more watch anime time than right now. 
Yeah. And we've been watching that yep. anime, and we're going to tell you about several of them. Based on Funimation's recommendation, we have been watching. We should have been all <laughs> along, but now we are. You must be watching. <laughs> you ought to be. It's for your own good. If you don't watch, I swear to God. <laughs> oh, But yeah, let's let's talk about some of the shows we've been looking at this season. Let's do it. And starting right off, let's talk... About the Great Passage, Fune Uamu. You want to start this one off? Uh, sure. You uh, have more history. With this I do one, have I more history because I've seen the movie. Um, so as I already established earlier, Fune Uamu is about this uh, publishing company and a small section within it that's trying to uh, publish a new dictionary. And they've been working on it for a while, and they're going to be working on it for way longer, and all sorts of hijinks ensue because of it. Like they get this new intern who is the main, or not intern, but new colleague in there who is the main character, and he's kind of like a, a f f weird, fussy nerd guy. Um, and he starts helping out, and he's really good at it, and then another guy who's also working there gets motivated because his new colleague is motivated, but then he's going to get transferred to a different place. And also at the same time, it looks like the dictionary project might get shut down because it costs so much. And also the main character falls in love. And that's basically what we've been through so far. Yeah, lots of stuff going on. Yeah. And it's... So, first of all, um, although Amazon has the rights for it, they have not released it to the U.S. in English yet. Nope. They've announced that they will, but it looks like they're Netflix in it, where they're going to put it all at the end. Those damn so the flicksters. only way to access it right now is through UK Amazon Prime. Yep. Or through shadier methods. Which is frustrating. Yeah. That's, that's really frustrating, because they already have it in English. They already have the rights. Why not just release it? Like... There have been, like, beliefs out there that because, um, like, Battery did so poorly... Yeah. ...that they're just trying to, like, cut that out. But, like, they've only had two shows to base it off of, and Cabinary, I assume, did pretty dang well. Mm hmm Like, to just be like, oh, we can't do this anymore for U.S., like, it just seems ridiculous. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, if there's a weird rights thing going on with whatever the the publishing company is or whatever... It's weird. Either way, it really sucks because this show is extremely good. It's really good. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's surprising in a way for a show so much about linguistics mm -hmm. that, you know, has to be translated is that there there definitely does feel like sometimes there's a lost in translation sort of thing going on. Yeah. But it's still very, like, understandable totally. in a lot of ways. Because it's it isn't always so much about the dictionary as so much as about, like, word choice and it's about these characters more than anything else and how their relationship with this affects them. Mm -hmm. I think it's really lovely. Um, one thing I, I sort of, like I thought it was weird at the start but I think it gets uh, more understandable later, is they take almost a stage play-esque approach to introducing story elements. Like right at the start we find out oh the dictionary department uh, they kind of need, uh, they need a new hire because they need more people to share the workload between. And, like, as soon as we find out about that, we hear the main character meeting up with someone else who works there, being super weird and, like, particular about words. And right away, it's like, okay, that's the guy we need. And it's so immediate and direct that it's. It, it feels awkward the way he introduces how much he's into words. Yeah. A little that, bit. It's not naturalistic. And that's weird for that part, but I think eventually it works out just because the story is so much about words and they like they weave it in there in a way that's not i guess 
doesn't feel like a natural story, but it feel, feels like a good story. I like it. Right. They're, it's not exactly how people would talk, but you understand why they do this yeah. more now. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it does introduce some good characters because the, so the, the current, uh, worker there, the main character, um, Masashi. No, Masashi. Oh, the guy who's already working or, there. Uh, yeah, that's, Nishioka. Uh, that's, yeah. Yeah, Nishioka. Nishioka's already working there. Yeah. And he is like super not interested in the work. No. He does it, but he's not particularly happy. He wanted to work in PR originally. Yes. Cause he's, he is very, He's very sociable. He's very good at talking and interacting with others. He's also very dominant. Yeah. Meanwhile, Majime, the other main character, um, he's, he comes off, the Majime comes off as very socially awkward. Yeah. He's, he has trouble, like, even interacting with people at a basic level. He doesn't understand social grace for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the first scene we see him is he's walking into a bookshop to, like, uh, to talk to someone on business and they have a, he has a different bookshops bag with him. Yeah. Like just very like simple things like that, where it seems like he doesn't really understand the cues he's supposed to be hitting, mm-hmm. but he really, really loves language. Yes. And so that's why he ends up getting picked out by Nishioka to work in the, the dictionary department. Mm-hmm. Cause it's very clear. He has a, a passion for this sort of thing and is, very clearly bad at sales. Yes. So let's move him out of where he's not good and put him somewhere that's a little more in his element. Uh-huh. And I think I think the characters just in general are, like, well-built. Like, they all have strengths and weaknesses, and you are very... It's very easy to understand their motivations and who they are. Yes. They're very, they're very straightforward for the most part, I think. Or at least they start off that way, which is good. Yeah, and it's, things start to build uh, as the plot goes, but still, they are... They are at like on a base level very simple characters to understand, which is good. Yeah. You immediately connect with them. Yeah. Building off of that, what I've really liked so far that I think uh or that I thought beforehand maybe wasn't going to be in the series as much in as it was in the movie, just by virtue of being more long form, is uh how quick the characters are to like evolve based on their interactions with each other. Mm-hmm. Like Nishioka starts off and he's kinda like you know, he's that guy who doesn't really want to do the work and he's constantly just kind of taking breaks at his desk. So all the yeah, stuff he's like that. He's, he's flippant. Um, but because like, uh, Majime is such a hard and dedicated worker with like a passion for linguistics, you know, sort of that, some of that leaks over to Nishioka. Uh, and, and I like that. Uh, it's not like he immediately becomes like starts doing things the same way, but he starts to like feel that love a little and it immediately starts to affect, affect his character in minor ways. And that's nice. It's, it's that sort of trope where he sees someone being so passionate about something that some of that leaks in mm-hmm. just because he sees someone so into a work that he considered kind of beneath him. Yeah. And through this time, uh, Majime meets Hayashi, who is the granddaughter. Yes. Of the, of the like apartment, um, owner where he lives. Yeah, the landlord. Well, it's not the really tenant. the landlord. Yeah, yeah. It, well, sort of landlord. Yeah, because they just live. He, he just he rents a room there in a house. Yeah, but yeah. So basically, the landlord of where he's living, mm-hmm. and uh, immediately like falls in love just because she's very attractive. Yeah, and she has sort of similar goals, I guess, with Majime. 
At least once Majime gets into the dictionary. How so? Because they, they have that, um, that, they have that date, right? Yeah. And they both talk about how what they're working at yeah. is going to take a long time to achieve, and it's kind of a, a very steep slope because they're both coming up against obstacles. Okay, yeah. But they're so impassioned in what they do mm-hmm. that they're willing to put forth all this effort. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's very much he he has trouble with conversations in general. Mm-hmm. So him having a conversation with this uh, this person that he likes is even harder. Like, at the start, he basically can't do it. Right, like, he's kind of like, hi, and then he leaves, like, yeah. you know, sort of very, like, he's trying to avoid her for the, because he doesn't know how to interact. I don't think he even introduces himself. And it and it plays sort of into the, the dictionary plot as well, because he hits, I think, the word love? No, no, he, he hits the word, uh, I don't remember, but it's not love, it's, it's something only tangentially related, which is what makes that part so important. Yeah, it's a it's a tangential word that just reminds him of her, and he finds it really difficult to separate himself from that word, so he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. And later, I, that's right, later on, Nishioka says, maybe we should get you to you, to define the word love if this is the way you feel about even tangential words about this person you like. Yeah. And that seems to be, like, a minor plot device that'll come back later. Mm-hmm. Because then, in the latest episode, he writes a love letter to... Uh, Hayashi to try to uh, get his feelings across, and it's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Uh, based on what Nishioka says about it, it sounds like the Finnegan's Wake of Love Letters. It is really long. It is tangential. It, part of it is written in, like, classic Chinese. Yeah, he's like, he, they just put a Chinese poem in, like, uh, <laughs> Majime really loves words and doesn't know how to describe anything but in these things that he's memorized, it yeah. seems. And he's like, he's a big reader, so he's very formal about everything. He talks very formally, too. Yeah. So that means and long a long form. And it's a 17-page love letter. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think that, that still plays into his character of who he is. Absolutely. And it's and it's really nice that they're not, like, sacrificing that by just suddenly making him really good at what he does. Because I feel like mm. that's going to be a thing that goes through the entire series. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, the plot beats just feel like they're moving at the right pace. Like, everything just feels right about Absolutely. it. And how they're showing the story. I don't feel like there's been any moment where I felt like I was waiting for the next thing to happen. Like, we, I, we, I was never stuck in a scene. Um, and it's not like a, yeah. a, a, an especially fast-paced anime or something. It's just it's just the right pace, you know? And it has some, like, oddly fluid animation in very, like, non-essential parts. Th- there are just flights of great animation every once in a while. It's weird how random it seems. Like even just like Majime like tapping his uh tapping his toes together, like uh-huh. waiting for someone, like is animated in sort of like that very fluid way that not a lot of shows are. Yeah. And it's and it's weird to see that for so many incidental moments. Yeah. The three big moments that I noticed were um Nishioka running out of the store in episode one to follow Majime, uh Majime turning around, rolling around in his bed. And uh, Majime waking up from the dream he has in episode 5. Right. It's just sometimes, and it's really, like, it's a really loose sort of animation. It, it, vague, it looks vaguely rotoscoped. Like, it looks like what rotoscoped animation look like, looks like, even though I don't think it is. Right. But I like it. Yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's just a lot of, like, it seems like there's just a lot of love being put into this. Yeah. It looks a lot like a movie, actually, I think. Um, 
like obviously it's a lot simpler for the most part not all of the animation looks great but it has that uh simple shapes and simple shading but fluid animation thing going on uh that you see in ghibli movies a lot too and that's what i kept thinking about and and it's just like it's building up like complications really well mm-hmm. i think like the the fact that nishioka is basically being forced to move positions yeah and he becomes encouraged to do everything he can to sort of, like, fix this before, you know, he has to leave. Yeah. Or to set them on the right path. Including lying to that nice college professor. Well, you know, I mean, in some degrees, like, it is, it's going to end up helping because they have to get funding for this dictionary because they're thinking of just shutting the whole thing down. Yeah. Yeah, I know. At the, in their business. So, You're right. you know, it's... It's, it is him using his ability to interact with others and sort of influence them to try to make the best situation out of what's happening. Yeah. I think another thing that I really like, um, related to this is that they didn't, uh, like misuse their television format to make it about one issue at, at a time. Because, you know, in the movie, and I assume in the book as well, all these things are brought up at the same time. Like, you have Majime falling in love, and then you have the uh, the dictionary possibly getting cancelled, and Nishioka moving to a different uh, different department. And all that could have been sectioned off completely. Um, and that would have maybe made for more compelling moment-to-moment watches. Like, then they could have put a, a sweet cliffhanger at the end of every episode, you know? Right. Uh, but they didn't do that. All these issues come up, like, together, and the story weaves through all of them. Because for the most part, they don't necessarily have to do with each other. Or they do, but they wouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do, and it all works together. And I think that might be part of what makes it never feel too slow, is that there is just a lot going on. In, but all of it is in the background except for one thing at a time. And it just feels like every episode is its own self-contained sort of thing. Like, it feels like every episode has a conclusion. Um, to some extent. Y- yeah, I guess so. I guess like, so. something is moving forward at the end of all of them where, like, something has been resolved or someone has decided to, like, have resolve. Yeah. Very much feels that way. It's it's cool. It's mm-hmm. very cool. I like it a lot. I th- it's a very different uh, type of story than what you usually see, I think. Um, yeah, for a show about some real nerd shit like books. It's good. <laughs> well, that's not what I meant. I meant, uh, like, going back to the stage argument earlier, um, mm-hmm. it's not, uh, at least in the way it presents events, it's not very naturalistic, which I think more and more shows are trying to be, which is not good or bad, um, which is very different. Like, it has more of a, these events are here because I want to tell a certain story with certain themes in a certain way. Not because this is the way it would make sense for real life to go, I guess. And I feel like sometimes that fails. That does, uh, yes. If it's not done deliberately, um, or if it's not done to, with a point other than I want the story to go like this, then it fails. Yes. Um, it shouldn't be the easy way out, I guess. Yeah, like it, it doesn't like, Force a connection, I yeah. guess, is the big thing. Is like, it's not just this thing is here specifically to do this. It's like this thing is here because I want this to move forward. But here's also what's going to happen here. It's not a singular issue. Yeah, I think the way I would put it is like making these quick, simple, f- maybe forced connections doesn't 
mean the story has to do less. It means it gets to do more. Um, okay. And there you go. That's it's good. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's really good. The little sections with the dictionaries in the middle, those are cute too. Oh yeah, the uh, the little short quips with uh, the four different types of dictionaries just yeah. talking about what it's like to be a dictionary. I'm learning a lot about how dictionaries are put together. This, I think there is a culture of dictionaries that does not exist uh, mm-hmm. anywhere but maybe Japan. Yeah. And maybe some of that is so much about how their linguistics differ from, I think, especially like European countries, because that's my big frame of reference. Yeah. So it it does seem like there's just a bigger culture for that because like they're talking about like making you know these for kids like filling these with specifically with like technical information like they have dictionaries for all like walks of life it seems yeah it's a very weird thing to look at at one point they're talking about how aggressively they need to um like add simplified text like what what you read you have like the 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 kanji and like the mixed. Uh, right. symbols, and then above it you have the simpler texts for kids, which is what manga often has, or for learning readers. Um, and that's not something you would get around here at all, because you can't, you just can't put words together in Germanic or Latin languages like that. Yeah, it just doesn't work the same way, like, our pronunciation guides are so completely different than just, like, here are some easier characters to recognize. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, got, I, had, I hadn't thought of that comparison yet, that is basically like a pronunciation guide. It's it's such a weird um it's 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 such a foreign thing. Yeah. It's interesting to kind of see this perspective on it though. Yeah, I've been really enjoying it. Um I guess the the at least for us the Amazon uh Noitama deal is working out cuz first we got battery which is very good and this is also very good. Yeah, and I I mean uh Kabaneri, Right. Uh, very different than those two. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very different. I wonder how successful this show is going to be in Japan because um, some weird loser nerd uh, trying to fall in love with a hot chick. You know, that's a very has widespread appeal, I think, Right. Uh, both in Japan and in the West. So I also think it's a shame that Amazon isn't giving us giving this the chance uh, that maybe it deserves. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's good. It's good, though. Yeah, it is. I love it. Now, next up. I'm going to talk about uh, Paco's Udon World. Okay. This uh, show is not very much about Udon. What? Which, uh, I, I originally going into it, it was kind of like, oh, it's sort of sweetness and lightning-esque. It's going to be about food and fatherhood. It's, <laughs> it's not really about food, and it's only about fatherhood in the sense that it leads to uh, character development within the, the surrogate father here. Okay. Because th- that kid's not a kid. Let's get that one one thing out. I think I said earlier, that kid might be a Tanuki. That kid is especially a Tanuki. I definitely saw some screen caps where he's a real Tanuki. Yeah, he is He is a legit Tanuki, and he takes the form of a child, I think mostly to avoid getting attacked in the country in the countryside. <laughs> that's, that's a good survival technique, I think. But they and they live in a place where I, th- I feel like Tanukis are sort of regarded, like you... They go to a shrine at some point where tanukis are, like, the mainstay thing. Uh-huh. And they draw the big nuts on them. <laughs> nice. They don't draw the big nuts on the kid. Oh. I mean, maybe that's for the best, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I assume. I, I just assume because I can't, like... There are cases where that kid is naked, but I don't see any nuts, so I assume. All right. But, um, it's... So it's about uh, a man named Sota who works as a web designer in Tokyo. Okay. 
his father dies, he, and so Soda goes back to his family's old Udon place and house mm-hmm. because he needs to clean it up and kind of get his stuff out of there before they uh, refurbish it and turn it into something for someone else. Okay. You know, a new house or whatever. And while he's there, he discovers a young boy who's sleeping in one of the unused Udon pots in the house. <laughs> and it turns out this boy is uh, Tanuki. Is that pot his Udon world? Yes. Okay. And he names the child Poco because he's very bad at naming kids. And everyone points that out. I was like, Poco, what kind of name is that? Where? But uh, he he pretends that Poco is the uh, child of one of his friends who just needs him to be taken care of for a while. In order to avoid being like, uh, this is a tanuki I took in, or uh, this is my <laughs> illegitimate love child. You know, right. it's sort of the questions that come up. And it's and it's so much about his, uh, about Soda's reintegration with this life that he had pre-high school, or, you know, before he left for college in Tokyo, mm-hmm. and his friends, and how they've all changed, and sort of the things in his past that still sort of haunt him. Yeah. It's very much about regret and it's a very much about sort of like recognizing um kind of where you belong in okay. a way it is a little weird because there's so there are like moments of like very tender like sort of fatherhood stuff but it that tanuki's not going to grow to anything more than a six-year-old child as a human form sort of thing mm-hmm. so it's a little weird as sort of thinking about but i think that the way they use the stories to tell it generally works really well okay because, like, through this kid, he'll, like, oh, he's going fishing with an old friend of his, and they'll have, like, a discussion while they're fishing about, like, sort of who they were before they left and kind of why Soda decided to give up the family business and move to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And basically, like, as a kid, he was bullied for, like, smelling like udon when he went to school every day. <laughs> and sort of the the things that come along with being sort of the son of, like, a, a, a chef. Yeah. Because it's not a particularly well-to-do job. No. And so he, he, when, uh, although as a child, he started out really, really liking the idea of taking over the family business, this sort of bullying and teasing ended up making him so disgusted with it. They like yelled at his dad right before he left for Tokyo to become a web designer. And he very much regrets the fact that he couldn't come back and like apologize now that his father's dead. Right. And there are stories like that where it's just like him meeting up with, uh, old friends who have moved on in life or, you know, become big and successful or gotten married and just sort of seeing the way the world has changed while it, he, I I think it's supposed to be that he feels very stagnant in his life right now. Mm -hmm. Like he recognizes that what he's doing in life isn't really going anywhere. Okay. And there are a lot of very tender moments of just like him remembering good times with his own parents and family and kind of passing them on to uh, Poco. And it's like, there's, I don't know. It it is it is very uh charming in the way it handles sort of this unusual fatherhood sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And very very relatable in the sense of like someone not knowing how to move forward in life and kind of being stuck in all these regrets that they have. Yeah. It's very modern. It's a very modern Japanese story. Yeah, and I think it it does that very well. The art style is very nice. It sort of does that like the like you know the shading that they do where uh it at some point it just goes completely black yeah like in like a lot of uh, modern american cartoons right yeah, yeah. so it is the opposite here where as it gets to lighter uh, lighter parts like where the sun would hit the head 
Uh-huh. Like, it goes almost completely white. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I know what you're so, talking about. So it's got a very shiny look to it, very clean. Hmm. And I think one really charming thing about it, too, is every episode ends with, like, a one-minute short based on, like, an in-universe, like, Bob the Builder-esque show. <laughs> oh, that's cute. That sort of follows similar themes, but, like, kind of twists them. Yeah. Like, similar themes from its own episode. Okay. But sort of twist them, because it's about these two, like, mechanics that meet, like, an alien and just hang out, and it sort of follows similar stories. It's very cute, because, like, they have their own set of, um... They have their own set of, uh, credits for that short. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they'll do the credits for the actual series and the ending song, and then they'll have, like, a little ending song for the show, too, that has, like, oh, here are all the credits for all these characters, like... As if it were showing us an actual episode. Okay. It's very, there's a lot of very charming things going on in that this That is story. cute. That reminds me of G.I. Joe. Because they would have the... Oh, because they have those, the educational shorts. Yeah, and educational shorts are basically just the messages of the episodes themselves made into text instead of subtext. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how... Right, like they just very clearly say, hey, hey that's bad. don't start don't forest fires. Right. Play soccer good and don't cheat. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. But it is a, it is a very, it is a very cute show. I think it does have a lot of very relatable moments to it. The, the latest episode I wasn't super hot about because it, it is a lot of sort of tough love sort of stuff, which kind of irks me in the way that it's presented. Okay. And, and a lot of like very like people who, people who appreciate Soda in Tokyo because he has to go back to help finish a job. Okay. And he takes Poco with him because he can't just leave a kid alone. Like, that'd be weird and right, the right. questions would be brought up. But, um, and just like this sort of disregard for the feelings of this child because it, someone feels like it's taking, it's taking Soda away from them. <laughs> like the, like that sort of jealous thing, but it's like really awful because it's like this dude like sort of like yelling at a six year old basically. Okay. Like it's, it's sort of uncomfortable to watch for me. Hmm. But by the end of the episode, it twists it into something that is a little more human and a little more relatable. Okay. It's just a really rough start. See, I was going to ask, is that, did you get the feeling that the series presents that as the way to go? But I guess not. No. Okay. And like the, it, like the whole thing has been about whether or not he wants to move back and kind of figure out who he is and whether he's going to go back to his job after he's done with his vacation. Mm-hmm. And he hands in his regna- resignation at the end of the latest episode. Okay. Episode 6 like halfway through. So he's going to so he's going to go back and kind of figure out what he wants to do with Poco. He's going to figure out how he wants to live his life afterwards cuz he's just he's rediscovering a lot of things that he's lost in right. a way. Cuz it seems like he doesn't have as many connections in Tokyo as he does back in his home. Hmm. It's neat. Um I I am interested to see how it furthers itself. Okay. Because it does come off maybe more like Barakamon in the way it handles these this relationship than, say, uh, Sweetness and Lightning. Right. It's, I don't know, it is it is good, though. It is good, to for, to say the least. All right. It also has a really good opening theme, I think, which sounds like a very, like, early 2000s sort of, like, poppy synth track oh yeah that was a good opening yeah it's it's a it's a it's a cute one for sure mm-hmm. for uh the great passage does not have a good opening i mean it's fine it's, but it's not it's, it just doesn't really it doesn't feel like it fits it's really unsuitable uh they play it in the background of a montage in one of the episodes and it doesn't fit there either 
Yeah, I don't know. The ending fits. The ending is really nice. Um, but that opening doesn't quite. Yeah, it's a weird little thing. Huh. All right. So next up. Talking about a lot of weird little things. Continuing up with, like, kind of the, the countryside sort of feel, we have Natsume Yujinsho Go. Yeah. Um, so Natsume Yujinsho, I think we talked about it before, is about a, uh, a child named Natsume who has the ability to see yokai, uh, see these, like, demons throughout the, throughout his, uh, his countryside world. Well, not demons. And, More like spirits. Uh, I guess demons. Yeah, uh, spirits. I guess monsters might be a better word in a lot of cases. Uh, yeah. Yokai is one of those words that's a little hard to... to you have to explain English. it, otherwise there's no direct yeah. translation. Yeah. But, um, so he... His grandmother also could see yokai and uh, kind of beat the, a lot of them in contests and took their names so that they could be, like sort of indentured servants to her. Man. And uh, and kept them in a book, which he now has access to. And a lot of his life is sort of avoiding people who want to steal it for their own good and finding the demons who have lost their name, or, sorry, yokai that have lost their name, to, uh, to give them back. Because he feels that there should be more harmony between the two, even though it seems very much from a lot of the ones he meets that there's a lot of animosity and very much like this this, like, uneasy, like, false peace going on between them. Because they're ver- the yokai are very willing to attack humans. I mean, I would be willing to attack humans, too, if I had been an indentured servant for 70 well, years. Well, even just the ones that aren't related to that. Yeah, that's true. There are a lot of mean ones out there. Yeah. But, um, I feel like the, the animation is a little lower par than it was before. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I feel like it... it, it there are a lot more moments where I go, that doesn't seem quite right than I did in others. Hmm. And maybe part of that is because this is the 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 brain space offshoot instead of it proper. Yeah. Never never is it like off putting. It's just like one of those things you go, hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely not particularly impressed by the animation in this. It's fine, and sometimes it ekes into probably shouldn't look like this. Um, but you know, it, it works. It never was very animated, and I guess that's the thing about it. Is it's not very animated. Right. It's so much more about sort of the the set dressing, and it's so much about sort of the interactions that the animation doesn't need to always be as good. Mm-hmm. And the, the design's pretty good for the most part, I think, and that makes up for it. The design of everything, the creatures especially. So coming into this not having seen the other seasons, uh, I want to hear your take on this whole thing. Uh, I like it. I think it's it's charming. Um... It's it, it it has that old touch. It has the touch of making me want to cry at the end of every every episode. Well, not, not every episode. That's a big thing about it. Is like every episode is its own self-contained story, and a lot of them are very tragic in their own distinct ways. Yeah, and that's you know that's a little different. It, you were definitely right uh, when you said that it has a certain uh, tone brought about by its shoujo, shoujo nature that is a little uncommon. Yeah. Uh, like it's very, it's very positive. Uh, Natsume is a, a very, very caring character in a way that you don't see a protagonist be a lot. I feel um, uh, there's an earnestness to him that I think a lot, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot, a lot of anime protagonists, male anime protagonists at least, but I guess female ones too, just don't have in general. Um, mm-hmm. You just get a feeling that there's not 
the nothing there's nothing underlying in any of his actions. He's just mm-hmm. Natsume the sweet kid. Yeah, and from his like backstory, which I don't know how much you've seen since you've only seen this. Uh not but much. so much about it is his is his desire to sort of like not bother people. Yeah. Because it he um part of his backstory is just that he kind of moved from foster home to foster home after his um parents died. Mm-hmm. And just because he saw these yokai, he in- inadvertently ended up causing a lot of trouble just in general. Right. And so he was always seen as sort of like a delinquent, like, you know, some- someone who couldn't be reformed. And so it's, he ends up taking on this very sort of like nonchalant, like very, he wants to avoid interaction yeah. in his life. I've caught basically none of that just from this season. Okay. Um, I, I, it, again, I can't, I can't always tell because a lot of it blends together, but yeah, no, there's been none of that. Um, I think part of what makes him, makes me like him as a character so much too, is that, uh, he is nice, but they didn't make him a simple character just to make making him nice easier. He's not just a good egg. Uh, there's a lot going on with him, you know, a lot more than there is with, uh, I don't know, like Mob. Mob is just a, a really simple character. Like, even the struggles are incredibly simple. Um, and Atsume, there's like, there's a lot going on with him. Like, like you said earlier, you know, that's one facet of it that I didn't even know about yet. Like his history. And even beyond that, there's just a lot going on. Yeah. It, it, it comes off, I think for sure that his life is very complicated. It is. Yeah. Cause there's that bit in this season where he's sort of like blackmailed into helping this exorcist. Yeah. Uh, to uh, to kind of avoid like a yokai who's been taking over people. Mm-hmm. So there, it, it's very complicated because you know it's it, from there you see oh you know he he doesn't want to bother people with people worrying about him like his new foster family. Yeah, and he's trying his best to keep that side away from him because I he knows they'd worry all the time. Mm-hmm. But also he doesn't want to interact with these people he knows are like evil, right? Or at least like. They're, they are acting incorrectly in what they're doing. They are the immoral, um, nature pres- preservation operation of the spirit world. Yes. But he, he's sort of forced into it because he knows that he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to cause trouble for more people. So mm-hmm. he reluctantly does these things. Yeah. And I think that's really, it worked. And I don't know if it worked for me because I find him like his just go along with it because that makes it easier for everyone. Nature very relatable. Or just because mm-hmm. I think it's well written, but it, 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 it's working for me. I like it. I do think it's written very well. Yes, absolutely. And it's uh, it's done some very neat things. I think with each of its episodes, I think uh, the the latest one, the Soundless Valley one, was very neat just for taking away his voice and trying to interact with this this yokai who it, it seems like yokai don't exactly have like a good sense of sight or just are unable to tell humans apart. Yeah. Because you get you get that sense that it's sort of like when we look at animals and they kind of just all kind of blend together. They, yes, and because they they do it by like a scent of some kind or like an aura, mm-hmm. and it seems like everyone believes that he is his grandmother, and he sort of has to break this news to either people attacking him or people who really want to interact with him that well they're gone. Yeah, you know my my grandmother's gone, and I'm here to do what I can to sort of finish, I guess, what she started in a way. I do really like that. Um, I like that you never get a full sense of how the yokai think and operate. And that helps keep the, the mystique alive a little bit. 
And I think one also cool thing is you don't ever get a full story of what's going on with Natsume's grandmother. Yeah. Because in previous, uh, in previous seasons, it seemed like sometimes she was just looking for, like, uh, someone to fight in a way, and that's why she took the name. (laughs) But, and she was similarly, like, ostracized from humanity in a sense. Hmm. And so she mostly spent her time with yokai, and so sometimes she'd just fight with them. But, like, with this, the, the Soundless Valley yokai, it's like, it was just playing a game with them and having a lot of fun and taking the name down so that they could do it again, and she just, ended up disappearing at some point. Because she dies very young, I think, is the one thing we really know about her. Yeah. But we see these vignettes about her that seem to be, like... That seem to tell a bigger story than just, like, oh, she was collecting these names to have servants kind of thing. Okay. Because uh, just just based on this season, uh, she just seems like a real bad person. Yeah, you get that, especially because they, they do that whole thing where what she's doing is, like, a forbidden technique among exorcists. Yeah. But also, she's just, like, rude to all the spirits in general. And just, like, because we know that the name-stealing is something that she probably shouldn't have done, you know? Not portrayed in a positive light, at least not in this season. Yeah. Which I think is interesting, too, because uh, that's not something that happens to grandparents in shows a lot. They're usually portrayed as calm and good, and the spirit spirits of positivity and kindness. And I I feel like it does show, a, like, two different sides to uh, her, in particular, like in episode one. Episode one is kind of stuffed. It's a very big story that they try to tell very fast. Yeah, that's true. But but it does show a number of facets of her character as well, like, sort of the, she, you know, she takes this doll back from a yokai who took it from a small child. Mm-hmm. Or she tries to give it back, and very clearly, like, the the people who she's interacting with are, like, fearful of her. For one reason or another. Yeah. Probably for similar reasons that, like, Natsume is kind of ostracized is because he's off. Yeah. You know, or they think he's off. And so they go like, oh, we don't need that anymore. And she tries to give it back to the yokai after that, or, like, put it where it was. Mm -hmm. And just because of that, that spirals into this weird trouble that then Natsume has to solve. Like, she's not, she's not all bad. Very clear. I think they do that pretty well. Not so far. Um, But maybe in the past they have. I can believe that. It's it is uh it has been an interesting season so far. I think yeah. though, I I I do like Natsume Yujin Show a lot as a series. I've been liking it a lot too. Um, I the myth arc, so to speak, surrounding the Exorcists, I think was a real low point of the season so far. Okay, it was a two parter too, and it felt really slow. And the story itself was not that interesting because, assuming that this is something that has appeared in the show before. I feel like we learned very little new about the exorcists themselves. That's fair. Yeah. And the story with the the mask yokai from that episode was not that interesting. There was basically nothing to it. Um, or at least not to the degree that all the other episodes were. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think for those two reasons, the, those were two very empty episodes. And I definitely struggled to get through those more than the just the standalone Here's a yokai, here's what happens episodes, yeah. Yeah, they don't do uh, two-episode arcs very often in this show. Mm. And usually when they do, they're a little more grandiose Okay. than what was presented here, but no. Uh, I mean, I, they still tell very, like, human stories about Natsume and his struggle to kind of relate with nature and humanity, kind of. Yeah. This this balance going on. I, I do really appreciate what it does. Yeah. 
It's a really good show. Um, it's uh, it's right up my alley. I really like shows about people doing good things, and I like shows about there. There are basically just little encyclopedias into like this fictional world. Yeah, this sort of fantastical nature. Yeah, this like just a series of case studies, basically a fictional case studies. It's fun. And there's and this and just because they're fictional, like you still get these very relatable feelings from everyone, even if they're like these these yokai are very like um like kind of one note you still understand why they're doing the things they do yeah yeah i don't know it's it is it is very neat it is i like, it, I like it i'll probably go back to watch the rest at some point i would read the manga but the manga is really ugly it's been a while since i actually saw the manga it uses um, a lot of screen tones in places where it probably shouldn't okay and it makes it look really flat and like clip art a lot of the time uh, I, I don't dig it but I do dig the That's show. That's interesting because I feel like the the anime style is just very simple and therefore like would have been a, a pretty easy one to one if it had you know, if it just looked like what the anime does. Yeah, it's pretty different from the way the manga looks. It's more um the manga is very exaggerated shoujo. Like it sort of looks like what shoujo would look like in a parody, maybe. Um okay. and the anime doesn't look like that at all. It has very toned down facial characteristics and all that. So okay. there you go. What do you think of uh Natsume's best buddy, Yokai? Oh the sensei is great. He is a lovely little buddy. Nyanko sensei is great and also a horrible person. Yeah, but, you he, know, he does suck he, a little bit. He he does suck a little bit, but that's sort of the point is uh early on the the contract is made if Natsume dies, he gets the book of friends, but until then he protects Natsume. Okay. Because he, because uh, uh, Nyanko is also known as Madara. He's the big wolf guy. Yeah. Form of him. Mm-hmm. And basically, the idea is that he wants to be the one to eventually kill Natsume, but he's going to help him out for now. Okay, man, that's the, that's they do that in Death Note too. Yeah, but this guy's much cooler. Yeah, he is. I don't know. Ryuk's pretty cool as well. I dig with he's him. He's a he's a he's a drunk ass fat cat. He is. Everyone goes, oh, what's that pig? What's that gross pig? <laughs> yeah, they do keep doing that. And then he gets really mad. That's and a good running guy. Uh, oh, I guess one last thing I want to bring up, uh, like relating to me only being able to pick up certain parts of the backstory. Mm-hmm. I think it's very strange that they do try to some degree to like summarize what's happened in the past and what are the important past factors for new viewers, but they only go about halfway or even only a third of the way. Like, I feel like I'm getting some information that is forced in there just so that new viewers can, like, watch along, but not enough. So it's weird that they even went that distance a little bit if they weren't going to go all the way. They've done that, I feel like, with every season, sort of. It's like, hey, I'm Natsume. This is my life. Yeah. And he kind of gives a little short inner monologue to kind of catch up, in a way. Mm Mm-hmm. Because a a number of these episodes came out, like, years after each other one. Right, yeah. So it's. It, I think it is more for people coming back. Like, oh yeah, that's that's what this is about. It's now on the opposite end of opposite side of the magical spectrum. Uh huh. Flip flappers. Flip flappers. You just started watching this before we started. Yeah. Before we went into this. That was today. Yeah. So you're what two episodes in? I'm two episodes in. Yes, because I'm fully in. I uh, I wanted to watch all six episodes, and I probably could have if I'd really dedicated myself to it. But two episodes was already a little much for one day uh, of this show. It's it is it's it is very um yeah it's intense. That's that's the word that's probably the best word. So it is a story about um I can I can 
never just by their names remember which is which. So the, there's Kokona. Kokona is the blue-haired one. Papika is the right, red-haired Co- one. Right. So Kokona is a sort of disinf- uh, disillusioned sort of student in a way. Like, very good at her studies, but has no idea what she wants to do. Doesn't seem to have very much, uh, like, extracurricular interests. But one day she meets uh, Papika. And Papika works for an organization of some kind. The Flip Flap organization. Yes, the, fl- the I think, Flip Flap project or something like that. And they they need a second person to go with Papika uh, into this magical world called Pure Illusion to find shards of a crystal that will help, which I believe they've said it will grant any wish. You know what? I think summarizing the plot of this series does it a disservice because it doesn't matter. Because it's matter. so much not about the plot. It's not about the plot at all. But that's this, this is the dressing around which everything happens. Yeah. So I think that's enough of that. Because it's so much about thematic storytelling. Yes. It's so, so heavy about theming and about characters that really the plot is just there to push, I feel like, these adventures forward. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure by the end of it, like, the plot will come full force and we'll understand more of what everything is. Oh, totally. But it, it is so heavily about um, its theming than anything else. Yeah. And you see and it's a very um diverse set of worlds that they enter with this pure illusion thing. Mm-hmm. Cuz like the very first one is like this this just kind of like quaint snow village. Yeah, it's the winter wonderland. Yeah, and then like um oh in episode 2 do they actually go in? That's when they go into the weird psychedelic world to chase the bunny. Oh, that's right, where they um where they get uh, someone pointed this out to me and I think it shows up on the Halloween podcast. Um, they get sucked into a vacuum. Yes. And they become dust bunnies. Oh my god, that's great. Yeah, right? And so when they reach that huge metal thing that spins and, like, throws them all around, that's the, that's the vacuum part. Yeah, I realize that much. And yeah. uh, when they, go, when they get, when they go into, like, the thing that opens and closes, that's, like, the entrance to the bag, to the dust yeah, bag. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't recognized some of that, and so it was, like, really eye-opening to mm-hmm. notice. And they go through a tube a lot, so, you know, talk Yeah, it's, again. it's a very... And it's very, also like very Alice in Wonderland-esque, it feels. That episode is, yeah. Yeah, that one. And then like, to to do like slight spoilers on the other ones, they do a lot of pastiches of like other properties or like just other genres. Because mm. like the next one is sort of like Mad Max Grin Lagon <laughs> sort of thing. I, yeah, but I also has maybe it. has maybe one of the heaviest also like magical girl parts of it up to that point. Mm-hmm. And then there are also stories that take place in, like... They they do a very, like... Mad Max Curie Road. Oh, good. Good. Got him. But um, they, they also do, like, a like the horror high school sort of setting. Uh-huh. And the most recent one, they actually, like, enter the memories of a particular person. Like, it's just... it It is not consistent, and I think that's one of the most exciting things about the show. Is that within Pure Illusion, it just seems like they are entering sort of these big thematic worlds that are more about the characters than they are about keeping a consistent setting. Right. Because it's so much about how they develop from there and sort of the... It, it is very clear that the, there's something off about the world. Oh, definitely. But that hasn't really been described yet because there's so much with, like, 
her dreams and sort of these repeating scenes that keep happening. Right. And there's um oh, there's there's all the like um those uh those what, those pictures where it's like you look at it one way and it looks like this and you look at it another way and it's something else. Oh, I don't. A lot of those have popped out through those. You, do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, is that an ambigram? Maybe. But th- there are a number of those that are popping up in the story as well. Okay. Like you see one at the very beginning which is like the two faces or the vase. Yeah. And then there's a one later that's like the young woman or the the old lady. Okay. And so it, it does give this idea that there is a lot more going on than is being set up here. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it is so heavily about the characters right now and their relationship. Okay. And I think it handles that really well. Uh like well, you're so you're only on episode two, so I want to hear your thoughts yeah, on that whole thing. Uh, well, the only thing I was gonna bring up to sort of like counter that or bring up my perspective on it is that so in episode one they go into the they go into the snow world mm-hmm. and then episode two happens and then the way they sort of do the whole uh coconut selling popica that she doesn't want to do this because she thinks it's scary uh thing is by saying i don't want to go on these adventures with you anymore which it, i don't they went up it uh, they went about it in a way that made it seem like that's something you would say maybe episode five after they'd already done it a couple of times. Um, because it made it sound like even though it was scary, it was wrote to Kokona. So maybe mm-hmm. it would have been more appropriate if, if she said, yo, we almost died last time. I never want to do something like that again. That's way too scary. Yeah, and maybe that is something about kind of the weird world that is happening around them. I don't know. Maybe. It's, it's hard to tell right now. Yeah, I just think uh, the relationship between the two of them is not entirely straightforward in the way it's presented. Yeah, and it definitely builds. They become more comfortable with each other as it goes on. Yeah. In fact, there's an episode later on where they don't even go into a magical world. It's just them interacting, and I think that helps to build their relationship even more than any of their adventures. Okay. And it's, it, it is very neat. It's like, it's it's pulling from so many different genres and styles... But at its heart, it seems like it loves all of them, and especially, like, magical girls as it goes on more. Mm. Like, they get big transformation sequences, and they get, like, magic weapons and stuff like that. Like, it it's very clearly playing with a lot, but it's with a reverence towards the genre. Okay. Like, it doesn't feel like ever they're just being like, hey, look at this, am I right? It's always like, <laughs> what if we took this and we, like, recontextualized it so it was super cool and still fit within the universe? Yeah. Also, there's that weird rabbit, which maybe there's something more with him. Yeah, that rabbit. Uh, Uex school? I don't actually understand how to pronounce that. Like, they say it all the time. Well, you'd probably pronounce it different in English, because in English you don't have to put anything between the X and the K, and in Japanese you would have to, so. And there's also an umlaut on it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a, a classic gray alien, but green, green alien. Yeah, it's like a green rabbit blob. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on, it'll it, it introduces villains, like uh, groups of people who are also going after these like um, these stones from Pure Illusion. Okay. And they haven't really gotten into who they are, but the imagery they use with it is very like typical of sort of like you know evil organizations. It's but it's it's all done again within this lens of like the fantastical that Flip Flappers is going with. Okay. I really like what Flip Flappers is doing. 
like as a show, it's just like very vibrant. It's very active. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just it's just something about it. It's like so much more exciting than I feel like when I look at the genre of magical girls. That this this just feels like a standout like sort of thing where it's it's really pushing for a like a bigger, brighter audience. Yeah, I like the I like the adventures themselves a lot. Like, I'm in this basically just for the art design and the animation. Uh, the story I can really take or leave. Uh, and by that I mean, and by that I mean leave. Cause so far, <laughs> I'm, I mean, it's not that bad, but, you know, the entire section in the school, uh, in episode two, where the point is Coconut wants to be left alone and Papika really won't leave her alone. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got it. I got the point pretty early on. And for a show that, at least so far, has made it seem like the story is really not that important and it's really just there as a framework, uh, it was kind of weird to see just how much they wanted to hammer it home. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think the closest point of comparison for this show is Fully Cooley. It, it gives uh, me a major Fully Cooley vibe. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah, and Fully Cooley is very whatever with its uh, with its motivation, with its character motivation, and this isn't. And that was kind of a that was a weird thing to transition into. That it does have a narrative that it definitely wants you to care about, besides all of the wacky stuff with the cool art that's happening. And I'm not, and I'm not invested in it even a little bit. Uh, uh I mean, maybe, maybe as it goes on, you will. maybe. We'll I hope so, but so far, I just think Papika is really annoying, and Coconut is just. Whatever. Their relationship changes in a way that I think will will affect how you think about okay. it. Okay. When one of, when one of them dies because she's the least powerful magical girl. <laughs> it's not it's not always like standoffish between them. Yeah. Like they start to become more comfortable with each other. Okay, but I I don't think that would necessarily make it better. But I'll okay. have to see. I, mean, I, I, I can't... like a lot of from what you said it seemed like it was generally the like avoidance sort of thing going on well no it was just i mean i didn't like that but the point is mostly i just wasn't interested um like these characters would have to change a lot for me to get interested i think okay yeah well uh i'm interested to see how you feel about it as it goes on yeah but the art is super good and that alone is worth uh the ticket i think yeah it's a spectacle Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe almost a little like it never reaches the point of being like oversaturated but it is very saturated yeah there's a lot going on in the second episode especially uh the first episode was fairly clean uh, as far as design goes yeah. but i think for the second episode it was the point uh because they definitely dove a little bit like they they put their hand into the psychedelia cookie jar yeah and it, I, I think it does a lot of good stuff with colors yeah totally like it, it, it really knows how to kind of mix and match. I think, and the kind of things that they do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm excited to see where it goes. Me too. Even if it doesn't end in a place that I'm like super happy with, I'll be, I'll be excited just because it has shown that it is like a real tour de force in terms of animation. Yeah, I'm glad we're getting to see all these cool animations going through cool worlds. That's, you know, if that's all I get out of the show that I can like, then that's still good enough. Yeah, like, it's, cause it's really good. It's really pretty. I'm glad, uh, Three Hertz put out one pretty show this season, or this year. What else did they? Dimension W. Oh, right, right. I mean, they have pretty parts, for sure. Yeah, but, but this, uh, this is a lot, you know. This, it's really wild how good this looks. Um, mm-hmm. they probably were preparing this for a while, 
Uh, and I say this both because it looks really good and because in the credits they mention the Flip Flappers project, which usually means that this has been something that someone's been prepping passionately for a long time. Right. And it's paying dividends. Okay. Oh, speaking of pay. Always on that grind. Yeah, something about that grind. www.work. And mm-hmm. tell me about it, Jordan. Uh, I dropped this show. I dropped this show first things first things first. Pretty early on, I think after three episodes. Um, and I would have dropped it after one if I had... Like, if I just had to decide, I would have dropped it after one and ba- my mind didn't change, basically. Um, so it's working, you know, it's the same people working at a restaurant and none of them are normal except for the main character, maybe a little bit. They all have their weird, wacky personalities. Uh, except this time around, they're not as wacky as they were in the first season, or in the first three seasons, I guess. Um, in which everyone was just, like, a total lunatic. Uh, some more subdued in being so than others, but they were all not in healthy living circumstances. Okay. Yeah. And in this season, you know, everyone's still pretty silly. Like, you have... The main character is just kind of a normal guy this time around, which wasn't really true for the other series. Um, and then you have a character who can see ghosts. You know, that's good for one joke. And then you have a character who brings her baby to the restaurant... That's good for maybe two. There's the girl who is, like, kind of tomboyish a little bit when she's just, like, talking to the employees, but she's, like, really girly and nice when she's talking to uh, to the clients. You know, that's a zero good jokes. I don't know, these... I feel like all the characters' quirks got really specific with this one. Um, so do you feel like this is more like a blueprint for what working ended up becoming? Uh, Since this is the original this like, is, manga. Yeah, right? yeah. This is the original web manga that then later turns into a published manga. I don't know if I'd call it a blueprint, because uh, they're very different. Okay. I think it, it's just, it's testing the waters. Uh, maybe not even intentionally, but uh, it certainly feels like at some point the mangaka realized that the strength of my writing and of this series is in the really out there and wild jokes and that's what I should keep doing. So this maybe is like a little too normal to to hit those same highs? It's it's fairly subdued. Like they're all still out there jokes I think. Like you have the ghost girl. Obviously that's not going to make for any, you know, just standard yucks. Right. Uh, but they're all very simple and the reactions are pretty subdued for the most part and they all uh, all the like humorous situations take a long time to resolve and I think all that together makes for uh, just a lower threshold of joke weirdness uh, okay. and for this show specifically that just didn't really end up working uh, and, the, and the character designs aren't as good it does seem very flat Yeah, there's nothing special about the characters this time around which I think is very true for a lot of the cast in the first season like, there's the girl with the katana, that's weird. And then there's the tiny girl, you know, that's different from most of the rest of the cast. And here, most of the characters just look normal. There's a guy who doesn't speak Japanese, he just speaks English. Most of the good jokes, they get some good jokes out of that, I think. Okay. I mean, I can see where that one works pretty well as comedy. Yeah, they get at least one good joke out of every character, I'd say. Uh, but yeah, I was just not having a good time with this one. Not, not my style. Well, that's a shame. Yeah. And that's all. Okay. Uh, talking about failed comedy, we're keeping it back, keeping it going. Keeping it bad. Classicaloid. <laughs> Man, Classicaloid has so much potential, it, I feel. Yeah. 
Like, there's a certain, like, irreverence to the idea of basically, like, magical boy composers that, like, has a charm to it. Um, I don't know. Like, just on paper. I don't know if I agree with that, but you can make, you know, premise doesn't really matter. You can make something good out of any, most things. And I think it's, it's PVs, uh, did not play into its weakest parts. Uh, the weakest parts being the entirety of the humor. Okay. So, um... Like, the issue with this humor, and it's an issue, I think, that a lot of, like, kids' Japanese humor stumbles into, mm -hmm. is very focused on, like, one gag. That is, yeah, that is absolutely the problem with this show. And this show, in particular, just really, really unfunny gags that are played out for every, every episode. Mm -hmm. And it's just like... I mean, I've, I've seen people who are really into it, and God bless them, but uh, it's a particular type of humor that I'm just, like, not into. Yeah. Because it, it's not only, like, a one-note sort of thing, a lot of them feel very, um, like, monkey cheese, like, very random. That is true. How many episodes of this did you watch? Uh, I made it to three. Okay. Because I only watched the first one. Uh, decided pretty quickly that I was done with it. And dude. Does the show get more dense with jokes later on? Because the first episode basically just had the one... Like, there were there were f goofy moments, but the only actual, like, joke joke was Beethoven making his chimichangas or whatever. <laughs> no, um, it, it, it has, like, more different jokes, but I don't know if the density increases. Okay. But it does introduce more characters, which I guess in would lead to that if I had watched past the introduction of the first set of new characters. Okay. Which, it's just like, okay, so, like, here's the issue with it. So, Beethoven just really wants to make good gyos. Yeah. That's his whole, that's his whole thing. Um, oh. Mozart is an, is an inconsiderate asshole. That's his thing. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they introduce a lady, and, I don't even remember what her gimmick is, but then they introduce another she's, one. Her gimmick says she's really fussy, I think, that's it. That's, okay. And then there's the, there's the, um, there's the one other character who's like, his thing is that he's a neat and he just hides in a closet. And that's the whole thing. Wow. That's the whole joke for all of them. And it's just, it's really, it's just really bad, I think. Mm, yeah. Like, I did not enjoy it. And I, and again, I, I do feel like there's, there's a potential with just like the art style and everything that would make it good. Cause I do, I do appreciate when they do the music portions and they do sort of like the irreverent remixes of, um, of, uh, classical music to J-pop, like those aren't great songs, but I there's there's a potential in there that I feel like just could have been better executed along with everything else in the show. Okay, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the the two remixes I heard. Uh, the one of the OP is definitely really bad because uh, it's just a guitar remix of. Um... Yeah, that one's less interesting. Yeah. I mean, the ones in the um the the actual show, the actual show has them. And they'll do, like, vocals and everything, and they'll really, like, yeah. change it up. Well, I didn't really like the one in the first episode either. But I guess that's just that's me, because I know a lot of other people at least like the remixes. Um, yeah. And I at least like the visuals. Uh, you know, if there's two things yeah, I like... Yeah, there's good visual moments. If there's two things I like, it's uh, complex line work and hand-drawn backgrounds, and the show has both of those things in spades. Right. And that was really nice to see. Uh, like, but it is... Also, like, as the flip side to that coin, it is kind of sad that Sunrise's big money dump passion project is something this lame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a shame. It is a shame. 
God, the Gyoza, Gyoza gag. Even the one that in episode on one. way too long all the time. The first one was already too much. Like, they should have cut that character element out completely after that, because there was already too much of it. Because, look, he made the good one the first time, and they could have just stopped it there. Mm. Like, he made it he made it good, and then the music thing happened. They could have just stopped there. Yeah. I would have been happy. At least they made Bach black. I'm glad they did that. That's, and also, he only speaks in musical terms. That, is, that, was, That's that was very progressive of them. Uh, speaking of musical yeah. terms... That was it. It was, yeah. it was progressive. That's some. Oh, uh, okay. That's more, like a, that's more like a genre term. I guess that doesn't really count. Sorry, it sounded like you were leading into something bigger. Oh, no, 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 no. Speaking of things that are bigger, it's Gak's ego because of this <laughs> next, next, next show. Uh, Trickster, something, something else. You, you guys know. It's the. the Edog- uh, Edogawa Ronpo's, um, young boys detective. That club. one. The 20 faces, uh, thing. So it's Trickster. There, it's Trickster. Um, I have very little to say about this show because I dropped it within... Before the like minutes, minutes right? d- reached the double-digit mark, yeah. Not necessarily because it's bad, even though I what I saw I definitely didn't like. Um, but it's because I realized very early that it was going to play into a type of show that just gets my goat. And that is okay. this sort of, like, generic operation actions show where everyone is really smug and smirking all the time mm-hmm. um like imagine the uh the highway episode of kekai sensen if everybody was zep Ooh. and that's roughly okay. what i mean when i say that uh and this show seemed like it was gonna head in that direction and that that is just the opposite of what i want so i was done immediately and it was also it didn't look good, but I saw it didn't look good, um, and the character designs weren't that great. Uh, like, obviously you can't judge a show by the first three minutes, one and a half of which are the OP. <laughs> but in those three- Also sung by Gap. Yeah, but in those three minutes I saw nothing that I liked, so at that point I was willing to call it. Just because I knew, on principle, I wasn't going to like this show, and I also think that it wasn't going to elevate itself uh, to a point where it would go beyond my principles and I'd still be able to like it. So what's the full... I'm trying to think of the full listing there. Gact plays one of the main characters. Yes. He is uh, doing the OP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also is... Um, he was also... He also had an animated music video for a different song that was entirely done with, like, trickster characters. Oh. I don't know. He's, like, really big in this thing, which is weird. It's weird. This does seem like the kind of thing Gact would uh, get behind because of how boring it is. Oh, wow! Whoa! That's the blazing take for today. Oh, no, wait, there's one still coming up. Okay. Still got well, at least one blazing take left. Man. That's gonna be rough. Yeah. But, thinking about Gact, let's talk about some handsome, handsome boys. I mean, Gak doesn't. Gak does, Gak's not looking that good anymore. I mean, he is old to be. Oh. He is getting old to be fair. He's so, getting old. He was handsome. He's looking good for his age, and he was handsome. Yeah. So let's talk about Gaku and Handsome. Okay. Uh, Gaku and Handsome is a short that is based on a parody, um, like boys' love visual novel, where the it, it seems like the main joke is just that they're really, really shittily drawn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and boy, howdy, are they really, really poorly drawn. Oh, good. But, you know, that's that's the thing. And I think one thing that um, makes Gaku and Handsome stand out is it's always different bad. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it's not... They're not always drawn the same bad. Oh, thank God. Yeah, no, it's... Except that their chins are always very pointy, and sometimes it looks like they could stab someone with them. Oh, no. The writing is a little rote. It, it does seem very much like they're just starting out with these very, like, pastiches of characters, like, these very, like, tropes, just so they can build into, like, the goofier nonsense jokes that I'm pretty sure happen later. Okay. It's gotten chuckles out of me, for sure. Like, it's it's not consistently funny, mm-hmm. but it's not, like, bad or anything when it's not. Okay. Because you've, you've sounded pretty negative about this to me. I've been on and off about it, because it's not... It, it is definitely not, like, super funny. No. Um, there are moments where I will, like, actually laugh out loud, and I sometimes feel like, mm, they. this is one of those pandering jokes where I couldn't help but not laugh out loud. Uh-huh. But I still laugh, so, you know, it, it clearly does something right for me. Okay. And, and like, it, it does have some parts where it just, like, completely goes into nonsense. Uh-huh. Like, there's parts where, like, instead of drawing one of the characters really small, they just draw a stick figure <laughs> to, to, like, to show them in the background. <laughs> and, like, the, the the principal's always there, and he's always, like, putting the word sexy in front of everything he describes. <laughs> like, when they do the sports festival day, it's like, oh, it's sexy sports day. Oh, it's like the one, it's like the one in uh, Natsume that puts super in front of everything. Yeah. I, I don't know, like, there are parts of it that are actually, like, pretty funny, okay. I think. And it's, like, it, it it is very, like, irreverent, but it never feels like it's, like, mocking it. It's just mocking the sort of, like, tropes that tend to be presented with it. Right. We're talking shoujo, right? Yeah. Okay. And, like, at one point in the sports festival, like, one of them, like, trips or something and can't go on, so the other one... So another guy's like, I will help you get to the end, and the, he grows butterfly wings, and they both get, um... And then they just both get disqualified, and no one wins the sexy sports day. Okay. It's very progressive. All the characters are like, I think it's okay to love anyone you want, regardless of their gender. Oh. So, I mean, that's good. Uh, is it a direct adaptation of the web comic? It's not a web... It's a visual novel. Oh, okay. I don't know, because it never made it to English. Well, in that case, or, I would guess and not. And none of it has ever made it to English. Okay. I don't know, at one point... So, oh, at one point, one of them invites the other to go, like, pee with them. That's fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ultimately, though, like... I think, like, it's almost at its best when it's not focusing on the romance bits, because it's just sort of, like, whatever with that. But then there's one where, like, a rich guy is like, uh, everyone keeps calling me, like, a rich douche at school. I need to do something to show them I'm a real man. And so he goes, like, try to work at a bakery, and all he can make is, like, turd-looking breads. <laughs> that's that's not, fun. That's not even a very masculine thing to do. Like, that's the first thing you think of. <laughs> you go work at yeah, a I'm going to, well, because he's going to work a, he's going to work a normal job, because he's a oh, rich okay. guy. So it's like, oh, I'll work at this bakery, and all he can make is turd-looking threads. <laughs> but then another guy comes in, and it's the it, like the purple-haired character who comes in, and he's wearing like a a a, a sleeveless leather top that's also got uh, circles cut out of the nipples. <laughs> and he comes in like, oh, these are very sexy-looking breads, and he eats them all. And the guy gets so, and the rich guy gets so excited that he starts making bread super fast and ends up just like making the shop, uh, the shop explode. Oh no. The end. Sometimes it's actually kind of funny and I think it's when it's avoiding any of the romance bits. Okay. It's charming. It's, it's not great, but it's, it's fine. You know what that last bit sounded like? What? That sounds like something that would be on TQ8. Oh, yay. Hey, good transition. Oh. I also watched TQ8. So I re- I predominantly watched Gakuen Handsome and TQ because I had 
nothing to watch for the first, like, oh, half of a week when the anime started. Okay. And so I watched all of TQ to catch up, because, you know, it's good to keep the continuity in mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I started watching the new season, and it's it's more of the same. The The opening's not that great. Uh, um, yeah. And, I, and it does feel like you can kind of judge a lot of TQ based on its opening, because that's so much of the show. Uh-huh. But, um, I don't know, it... Look, it it has the same sort of, like, wacky nonsense humor, like, joke-a-minute thing going on, so it, it never really lingers on anything too much. It's it's very easy to watch, it's very stimulating, and that's about as much as I can give it that at this TQ. point. That is TQ. That's TQ, and, like, that's that's just always what it's going to be, and what it always will be. Like, the only thing it could do bad is, like, be really bad at jokes. Yeah. But they do some pretty decent gags in here. Alright. So I'm it, I'm I'm happy with it. I'm gonna watch it at some point too because I really like it. Yeah. Before I first saw TQ, I was like, man, really fast two minute jokes with no animation. That sounds like the worst thing of all time. But TQ pulls it off. It's one of the better things of all time. Oh, I also um, just to pad this out a little bit longer. Uh huh. I did read some of the manga. Okay. It is a it is basically shot for shot reproduction. The anime is basically a shot for shot reproduction. The only thing that differentiates it is the pace. Yeah. And I really don't know how to feel about it, because I feel like the pace is is such an important thing to the presentation. Yeah, it, re- it really does make a lot of the jokes. Like, I, I feel like it would be harder to, like, laugh at some of the stuff or just be, like, kind of shocked by it if I took a second, you know, if I took the, like, five seconds to think about yeah. it, that would, I would be provided by reading. Yeah, like, the the part in season seven where they go to the, the greenhouse and there's a plant that's in the shape of the butt and then she eats it. Like, that would not be yeah. funny in panel form. And, like, it wouldn't be... And, like, in the very first one, it's, like, the one of the characters needs to find something to put on the front page of the newspaper. Yeah. And they're, like, talking about all these very ridiculous things. And then one of the characters just goes, well, I guess I gotta eat my panties. And then they just, just cut away from it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, a, that's a terrible joke, but the way they just, like, throw it out not to oh, <laughs> Uh, I think he's so good. Bless. Thanks, Millipensy. It's so just. It's so awful how much we laugh at that. And then, and then, like at one point, they like fight, um, fight like a, a a Japanese like yokai of some kind. And then they go to hell and they talk to the devil and it's like, uh, "What's your wish?" And it's like, "My only wish is that I get a good thing on the um on the board." And one of the things they had thrown out before, which is like an eating contest or something, gets thrown up on the on the newspaper and it wins an award or something. <laughs> It's great. Oh, I love TQ. Good job. (laughs) Oh. What's next up? Uh, Oh, right, the other short. Because we did all the shorts together. It's Aloni, the animation, and hoof. Oh, it's bad. It's pretty bad. You know, with TQ, you die laughing. uh, And in Aloni, you're supposed to laugh about people dying, but I don't. Yeah, oh, man, it's... So let's talk your issues first with it. Okay. Um, well, I just thought the first episode was okay, I thought. Um, they basically played out the joke of the Aoni is there and people aren't that surprised. Or they are surprised, but they don't really realize it's him, I guess? Yeah, like, a lot of it is just, like, they're all talking, they're like, oh, I heard the Aoni is there, and they're, like, talking it over, and slowly, one by one, they all die, but they're still, like, in the conversation. Yeah. And that's okay. <clears throat> uh, but then episode two was basically the same joke? They're all basically the same yeah. joke, is the real problem. 
You know what the one good thing about that show is, though? What? The ending. No. Oh, the ending thing is great. Like, I, the blight is not good. <laughs> it's very good. Okay. No, I mean, I don't know. That is the one thing, like, when I got to the end of it, like, I guess everything else was so bad, I was like, oh, this is just kind of charming. Yeah. Not, the, not just the butt, but I feel like the song just being, like, kind of a heavy metal pastiche sort of thing. Uh-huh. Eh, it's a little it's charming. It's okay. But it's, it's, not enough to, it's not enough to save the awful show. No. I mean, to be fair, like, what, what do you do with a short series about Aoni? Yeah, really, I don't know if you could do much. Yeah. And, I mean, they tried. They, they did, sure they did try. I'm looking forward to the movie. Still. Okay, I mean, who knows what the movie will be like. Maybe it will actually be, like, a real adaptation. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have our our sports segment. Well. And let's start off with maybe one of the most controversial opinions we've ever had on this television show. Yeah. At this podcast. And we've had a lot. Uh it's it's Yuri on Ice. Yep. Uh, may, it, it's definitely been one of the most um, talked about series this season. It's been very popular, yeah. And I think part of that is it's handling a very like generally unrecognized sport for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally a good animation, and a lot of people love the characters. Yeah. And we're here to tell you that we just. We just couldn't get into it. Yeah, we couldn't get into it. It's just it. It's one of those things where I recognize why people like it, and I I see the elements that other people see and understand. Yes, this is good, but it it's just not grabbing me. Yeah. Is the issue. I only partially see it, to be honest. I'm not saying that just to be a jerk. Um, mm-hmm. I just think the show is very flat for the most part. It's always the hard, toughest to see something good in something that's flat, whereas something that you like passionately dislike. You know, there's also people you passionately disagree with, and then it only stands to reason that the show is for those people. Um, whereas here, I don't, really, I don't know. It's, I get it. it okay. I, I, I do get it. It's just, like, I understand that I think a lot of these characters are going to resonate more with people that are especially not me. Yeah. And that's not to say they're they're all bad characters. Uh, no. It's just, like, elements of the characters that are prominent, and because it's so character-focused, it's hard to look past that and go, oh, well, I'm here for the figure skating, because so much of it is really about the characters. Yeah. And they're very limited characters, I think, is one of my big problems. And it only gets, I think, worse later on as they introduce a lot of um, side characters that are also doing the ice skating thing because you no longer get to focus as much on just the main trio Hmm. which I think the show really really wants to do yeah like I so I made it all the way up to the most recent episode and dropped it okay is that right yeah okay um when and I like for the last two episodes uh Russian Yuri has basically been a non-character like he's shown up but he is not, like, he's not done something important, I feel, for, like, two episodes. Oh, yeah. Instead, focusing on the relationship between uh, Japanese Yuri and Victor, and then all the other side characters that have popped up as they're going to competition. Okay. So, one thing to note is it, it does look really good, I think, to start. I think its animation was really strong coming out of the gate, and it has been a lot of production issues past that. Alright. 
I've seen a lot of people say that uh, that looks very good, and I don't understand. I think uh, the first episode looked okay. pretty good. It, it it looked you know upper echelon for sure. Um, after that, I think it, it. I don't know. People keep saying that it looks really good. Like some people, uh, I've read it being described as a um, as an animation showpiece, uh, and I absolutely. Just like I say this completely earnestly, I don't know what they're talking about. Because uh, the show looks, f- the parts of the episodes that I saw, which I think were just the first three, all looked fine for the most part. But there was definitely nothing, except for maybe a couple things in the first episode that really stood out to me as being particularly well animated. They are definitely doing their best with the figure skating, to be to be fair. Um, like, it's hard. Yeah. Figure skating is hard to do well. I can imagine. Because... There are so many, like, movements that don't always seem, like, necessary, and I think when they're animated in the way they have been, they just kind of feel off. Hmm. Especially since it seems like as it goes on and on, it's, it is it is becoming, like, more and more clear that they're running into production issues and trying to make this still look as good as they can. I think someone... There was something there that was, like, for a, like, single... Like, for a single like, movement backwards. Like, just one shot of someone skating backwards, not really moving. Yeah. Like, 60 pictures, you know, 60 60 distinct pictures, no in-betweens for that. Like, they're putting so much effort into this, and I feel like it's hurting the quality of the animation in whole. Okay. That's weird, because I was actually going to say that the ice skating came up really short uh, a lot of the time. Um... I feel like not 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 necessarily in any particular way. Well, yes, actually, in a particular way. But for the most part, the ice skating just didn't impress me at all. Um, there, it was all okay. It was all good enough. But you know, nothing that made me go wow. I think past the part where you were, there's some good choreography done for okay. sure. There is there is good chore- choreography. I'll give it that at least. Yeah, like I bet if real people were doing it, it would look really good. <laughs> yeah, I think part of my big problem. With the with the ice skating is the way uh, motion is handled because what they do a lot is uh, it's a lot of static shots where the background will shift and the camera will pull in and out on the background, uh, but the background never rotates. And I understand that that would be really cost inefficient to have the background rotate, but without doing that, it just looks a little farcical a lot of the time, I think. Yeah, I've noticed some of that with the background stuff. Yeah. It's weird. Um, You know, I often decry 3D in anime for looking really bad, but I think this would have been a prime show for 3D background stuff. At least backgrounds, because then it would just be so much easier, because there are so many panning shots that they want to do, and would be really effective... But it it very it becomes very clear that the backgrounds are not moving with the camera. Yeah, there. Yes, I think the the ice skating is, from my perspective, and I think that it's not that good. Is the biggest shame of the show. Like it's where I can see the most uh, potential. Where I can see the most potential. And obviously, other people see a lot of good in it. So maybe that potential really was reached, and just not in my eyes. Um, and everywhere else, in all the other categories of the show, I see a lot less potential. Uh, and I see it's just bad because that's just the way it was going to be. The characters especially. The character arcs of what they're presenting, I think, are really good. And I just don't really feel the characters. Yeah. 
Because so our main three, we have Yuri, Victor, and I guess we'll call him Yurio because they do that in the show. Yurio, right? Is Yurio? No, it's it's an O. Okay. Um, but so we have so Yuri is the Japanese one, Yurio is the Russian one. Mm-hmm. Just for anyone who's following that may not know the show. Um, so we have Yuri who feels like he is kind of he's he's doing his last season because he doesn't feel like he has really anywhere to go. He's done. He did so poorly in his latest showing in, like, the Nationals? Yes. Uh, in one of the bigger tournaments. Yeah. That he just feels like he's kind of... He's lost it. Yeah. I think the time before he did poorly as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Like, his last two showings were bad. Okay, and so he's he's given it one last shot because he has famed, uh, famed ice skater uh, Victor uh, Nikifor- Nikiforov? Uh, let me pull up Nikiforov. Victor Nikiforov, who is, who is like consistently won for years on end. I think like three years now running. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's stagnated in a way. Like he doesn't feel like he's getting much out of it. So he wants to, yeah. he decides to become a coach. I say it's more like he plateaued. Plateaued is the word. Yeah. yeah. That's a better word. He's plateaued. And so he wants to try being a coach for Yuri because he sees a video of Yuri doing one of his performances mm-hmm. and sees some potential in him. Yeah. And then we have uh, Yurio, who is up and coming, like, big, big, big deal. Like, he's done really well. He hasn't he hasn't won, but he's done very good showings. Yes. And the... So, like, we have three different levels of life and how these... um And how it affects them. Because Yurio is getting to the point where he's going to go through, like, growth spurts, sort of, like, hitting that last wave of puberty mm-hmm. and it's going to really affect how he performs. So this season is sort of the last one where he's basically at his best. Yeah. Um cuz he's what he's he's really young. He's like 15, 16 I, I think, think 15, yeah. And our Yuri is 19, 20? He he's 20 something I thought. Yeah. Um and then Victor is like 27 I think. He yeah, uh, Yuri is 23, Victor is like 27. Okay. And then Yurio is uh, 15. 15, right. So we see Yurio dealing with the fact that he's kind of at the prime, and he has to do his best this season. Yeah. Yuri is on his last leg. This is his last chance to really make something of himself, because he's decided this is his last season. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's got nothing to lose. He's pushing to make his last showing his best. Yeah. And Victor is... And Victor feels like he has nowhere to grow in ice skating so he wants to do something new it's it's all these people at these like cruxes of life Mm -hmm. and i think that does work and i just the issue is the characters themselves that push me away yeah for me as well because i find i find victor's particular like um negative reinforcement thing that he does as a coach really off-putting and that's personal that's a personal thing yeah where I I just find that particular type of coaching just like really bad, and I feel like that's his whole character. That is, um, or like a heavy part of his character. Yeah, it, it really is. And what's worse is that it's always played for comedy. Uh, like it's never allowed to just be straightforward, just part of the story. It's always a gag when he does that. It's always a wink and nod yeah. that goes along with it. And like I just feel like he injects him, he injects himself in scenes I don't want him to be in. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a part where Yuri is doing a a a, a a routine, and the whole thing is like 
he gets one of his friends to make this song that sort of follows what Yuri sees as his career. Yeah. So it kind of has these highs, lows, these mess ups. And the whole time Victor is narrating it. And I kind of wish he wasn't. <laughs> Cause like so much of it is like, I, I get it. It's, it's a symbolic thing. Like you don't, you don't have to do this for me. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty lame. And then Yurio just like, he's just, I mean, like he has his charming moments, but it's so much. He's just like a rival. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm surprised how, unimportant he is in the grand scheme of things considering just how like fiery his personality is uh, yeah. like he's he has a super short temper and then once he actually gets uh gets to japan and becomes a rival rival for yuri you know he still flares up all the time but he's actually not that big of a deal for the most part like he doesn't cause a lot of conflict uh which is surprising and it feels a little weird like his character changes a little bit once he gets there and he hasn't had a single performance since the 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 one where it's uh, figuring out who Victor's going to coach. Yeah, which I think is good because he looks so skinny that he's going to die when he has the ice skating leotard on. Sure, but I mean, like, still, like, for an important character, they really downplay him. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really get a good sense of what he's capable of, I think. And so if we consider this a very character-heavy story, we've got about an even split between... Yuri, Yurio, Victor, and every other character. Mm -hmm. About 25% each, maybe being a little generous. Yeah. But once, like, so Victor doesn't do it for me, and Yuri feels like a non-thing, like, we're already 50% basically, like, out of this show. Like, I'm not invested in half of this show. Yeah. And that's and that's the, the problem I have with it. I recognize that a lot of people like it, and I understand things that they like about it. But it's just really not doing it for me. Yeah, I feel the same. Uh, I'll tell you on top of that what else I don't like. Um, and I actually am very unhappy that this has gone mostly unmentioned. Um, is that Victor is constantly molesting Yuri, like, all the time. It's, it, it, he is very heavily, like, doing, like, romantic implications and this very, like, no no boundary sort of thing. Yeah, and you know, I think that sort of thing uh, goes, like, unspoken in anime a lot, but I think we as a whole are getting a little better about that or what I consider better. Um, but I feel in this case it's going mostly, if not entirely unmentioned, just because it's dude on dude, and that's not okay. That's still really and I think bad. it's also being it's, parts of it are still being played for laughs. Yeah. Or it's meant to be hot, which I think is even worse. In the latest episode, there's a whole port where, like, Victor and Yuri and some of, like, Yuri's old skating friends are out drinking, and they do a cutaway to someone else, and they cut back, and Victor has completely gotten nude in this bar and is, like, all touchy-feely over Yuri, and it's uh, really, really egregious. Yeah. Victor is also used for a lot of just really uh, lame and poorly implemented fan service. Um... And everyone knows that I don't like fans or service, and that that's that goes both ways. I don't like it when it's girls. I don't like it. I don't like it when a boy when it's boys. Especially at least not when it doesn't fit. It 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 feels um yeah I don't know it feels baby. Like I I wonder bit. if they said it in a hot spring just so they can have Victor naked and glistening a lot. Probably because they reuse that that cutout of naked Victor multiple times. Yeah, and like, how else does it being in a hot spring really affect the story? They can get f good food easily, and that's basically it. I mean, 
Yeah, but you know, then then it's the opportunity to call Yuri a fatty. Yeah, because he stress eats. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I get why people like it, but it's very clearly not for me. Yeah, I don't really get it, but also it's okay. You know, it's not it's not terrible. Like it, I don't think I don't think either of us are going to say it's bad. It's not but bad, I, but it's also maybe definitely maybe it failed to hit expectations for both of us. Definitely, it's not bad, but I would also definitely not call it good with great fervor. And passion. I think it's not good. <laughs> I think I, I think I'll I'll give it a, a hot fine. I'll give it a, a hot two out of five stars. All right. I don't know if I'd give it three, but it doesn't really matter. Either way, that's 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 the hottest that's the hottest take we're gonna have. I have a hotter take left. Show. I think. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. You it is just nothing but hot takes for I mean, you. It's it's a more intense take. I'm not sure if it's one that's going to resonate with as many people. Okay, but that's for well, later. Speaking of hot, let's talk about these hot blooded volleyballs. Oh yeah! In high Q, Krasno versus Hirotorizawa. Gakuen Hanson. It's more high Q. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's more high Q, and I feel like it's a lot more high Q. While it is presenting a more dramatic game because it's now five sets instead of three because it's a it's the finals of this tournament it also doesn't feel like the team is a lot better like i feel like they put so much of this emphasis on how um in second season how alba josai was sort of this huge team to beat everyone or like all the main characters had rivals there yeah like especially um it felt like kageyama had a huge rivalry there that wasn't fully resolved mm-hmm. but still through the strength of his team they were able to beat um oikawa and sort of his like well-respected team yeah and then with um and then with the with shiratorizawa it just feels like they are technically better but there isn't that sort of connection there yeah i agree like even the characters are like they're nothing compared to alba josai right. there's like, a lot of we that there's so much of that and it really undermines the story, I think. Yeah, and I get that the main thing is that they're going up against a tough person, a tough team for longer. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's for sure. But it's just it it does kind of undermine its own setting yeah. in that way. I am. I still like it. It's still animated well. It's it's still as consistent as it as it ever. Yeah, has it's been. very clean. And I think the shots are good. And it has presented some, um, I guess, villain characters. That boy, I do I love to hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, it's like it's given characters that don't usually get the time to shine to to kind of get their time in the spotlight, like Tsukishima for sure. Yeah, like he's had he's had multiple episodes where like his ability to read people has gotten a lot, you know, has has helped them win sets mm-hmm. from just being able to like know that th- this dude's breaking and is gonna fuck up and. His ability to like guess when is the optimal time to like jump into a block. Yeah, because like the biggest threat on the opponent's team is that one guy is left-handed. The the ace is left-handed. Hey, two people That's are left-handed. Big... Oh, you're right. But like the main thing is it was immediately going in was like, oh shit, Ushijima ha- is left-handed, and we have no idea how to handle that. <laughs> handle? And it feels weird. When... <laughs> and it feels weird when um. You see, like, Oikawa, and they have this huge animation for how he's, like, for how he does his, um, his serves and everything. Yeah. And they're just, like, huge, huge hits. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see all the love put into every frame of that. 
And it's just not quite the same. Yeah. It is really weird that the presentation sort of tells you, like, oh, this isn't as important in the last match. And then the characters literally tell you as well. Yeah. It's so strange because it was it didn't have to be like that. Like, that is a completely unnecessary part of the story that just makes it that little bit less interesting. Yeah, and especially since this match is, like, the longest one in the manga as well. Like, it went on for, like, a year. Yeah. I still like it, though. It still presents all the things that I really like about Haikyuu. Mm-hmm. I still like it fine, I think, but I'm, I don't know, I struggle a little bit to, like, be motivated to watch this, I think. Not as good as second season. Definitely not. Or even the first season. And I hope what would happen after this will be, will, will reach those same highs as before. Yeah. It's gonna be a while, I think, though, because we've... Oh, for sure. We're, we are way caught up to the manga. Yeah. Because I think the next one is, the next arc is even like a game that doesn't even evolve Karasuno. Yeah. It's Nekoma and um uh Fukuro the the one with the owl kid. Yeah, that's what okay. I I can't remember the full name and I'm gonna get so much hate mail. Um yeah, I don't know. It it's still good. It's still good. It still does all the things that I, I want out of Haikyuu, but it, it does lose a little of its gravitas. Yeah. It's a is it Fukurodani Academy? Fukurodani, yeah. that's it, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm, I do like it. I, I'm happy that it exists. I still like it plenty. Yeah, Haikyuu, Haikyuu does what it does well. Yeah, there's just major structural problems with this arc that are really holding it back. Yeah. But that's just the way it is. Team, uh, Production IG still putting its best foot forward with it. Absolutely. And God bless them. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few shows where they are like they seem to be like consistently ahead of schedule. Yeah. All right, new sports. More sports. More sports. Um, all out. All out. Keeping it going with the multiple exclamation marks. Yeah, this is also the exclamation point block because <laughs> Yuri had three, Haikyuu has two, All Out has two, and the next one has eight. Whoa. So all out. All out is rugby. Mm-hmm. It's about a high school rugby team and the fresh new recruit. Who just really, really wants to knock someone down. Yeah, he just really wants to get those good tackles in. And at, through it, he learns rugby, and the whole team is sort of amateur in a way. Yeah. Like, they, they don't seem to be coming from a rugby school. Definitely not. There's some really good players in there, I think, but they're all... They're young and still pretty fresh-faced about it. Yeah, and so it's... It, it's just about uh, Guillaume, who's the new recruit, and... Well, it's... it It is... About him, I guess, but like it does try to focus on all the characters. I guess our main cast is Gion and uh, Iwashi Mizu, yeah. who is the big blonde guy. And I guess uh, Hachiyoshi, the the big the the chubby fella, he is also. I'd say they are the like three central characters. Well, and then the fourth would be the the captain. Yeah, Sekizon. I guess I think he is definitely a little more in the background than. These three. Those all four get the uh, get the poster shot. That is, that is true, actually. Yeah. Let's count. Let's count them all four okay. as the main characters. Sure. So all out is. We've talked about a little bit about this off the show, but all out just feels classic. Mm-hmm. It feels very much like a show that would have come out like ten years ago. Yeah, maybe even twenty. I'd say it, like it would have been one of those things that would have hit tsunami and been big. Okay, yeah, yeah. It feels to me sure. Like from from the way that the characters are designed 
to the way it's structured. Yeah. It just feels... And, like, the music and everything just feels really, really classic in that way. Yeah, and all in a good way, because I really like it. Yeah, um... I think we said this as well. It's not always that it's the best show or the most engaging. Of all the shows that I like this season, I think this is the one that I would have the most difficulty saying why I think it's good. I'm not even sure if I think it's good. I just enjoy watching it and don't want to drop it. Because, like, every episode feels like there's something exciting to see. It's like, oh, there's a new episode. What's going to happen? Because, like, things just keep happening. Yeah. And that's what's really good about it is, like, it, it feels like each episode pushes something new. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I think the biggest way, and I already told, uh, talked to you about this, but I think the biggest way in which it feels classic and like a little older is in that it doesn't put in a lot of work to make you empathize or care about what's going on. Uh, yeah. Like, okay. you have episode one, which is just getting the gang back together, getting the gang together, getting them in the rugby team. And then episode two is just this silly little training, training arc for Gion, getting his back to look like spare ribs. Um, <laughs> and then episode three and episode four, basically, you know, it's just like the team's first game of the year. It's, it's for them to get their ass kicked. Yeah, it, it feels like the big game at the end of the season, but it's right at the start. And like the characters treat it with that importance. And then when they lose, it's treated with that same importance. But you know, we're just getting started. We're not that invested in these characters yet. So that's what I mean. You know, it doesn't quite, mm-hmm. it feels like maybe the story and the audience aren't like on the same level of involvement yet a lot. Uh, and that's how I feel about JoJo's two sometimes and jojo's is actually old so that makes sense um but you know it's a weird little thing but i don't necessarily dislike it it makes it charming it 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 has a a, a quaintness about it that i really like yeah i i do like it a lot Mm -hmm. um like yeah it, it definitely does feel like it's just kind of thrusting us in there's not a ton to explain because everyone is a simple character yeah and I don't know if that's ever going to change, but I think it's okay that it doesn't. Yeah, I don't think it will. I'm actually really curious where the series goes once everything is settled. Because so far, it's just been character introductions still. Like, even the last episode, we're halfway into the season now, and it was, uh, like, showing us how the, the really angry guy, Ibumi, like, how he operates. Yep, and so it's like, and it's like, there's still stuff moving forward. Mm-hmm. Because it's still, like, they've got training. They have a coach now that's willing to, like, teach them how to play rugby for real because it seems like they're just doing amateur shit. Oh, and the coach is great. What a guy. The coach... Okay, first of all, coach looks like Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he does. Let's let's get that out of the way. He looks like he's a serial murderer in, in like, an 80s uh, slasher. Mm -hmm. But he is extreme. Yeah. He's, like, setting up war... He's like setting up war practice shit for this. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like you, the way you described it is like it was that it's that thing where you have to like duck under ropes or like barbed wire yeah, in the army. We have to crawl, but it's set up where it's like yeah. But here it's set up. Hey, here are the very specific patterns you can run. Get some passes in yeah. underneath the ropes. And they got a good joke in where Gion just does it because he's really tiny and he can just go underneath. The yeah, Gion. Yeah. So the the thing about Gion as the like one character who really needs to grow is that he is very tiny and has no idea how to play rugby, but he really likes violence. Was that on purpose, that he really needs to grow? Oh, no, I didn't, but holy shit. Good job. Um, and But he really likes tackling, because he's 
He's sort of the violent character. Yeah. But not in like a way that makes him a delinquent. No. Just he's he's always ready to pick a fight. Yeah. Because he's mad at people for making fun of him. He's always raring to go. And that just happens to be expressed in violence a lot of the time, I guess. Yeah, so he gets he gets a good uh he gets a good goof out of that. Mm-hmm. And like there's also a part where it's like they set up a very tiny square, like it's almost playing rugby sumo. Uh-huh. Where the idea is to get the ball out of the ball out of the uh, arena, and it's just two on two. Yeah, and it's a really great moment where it's like uh, they're t- they're talking about being able to use what you have, and so what happens is uh, a, a, the ball is about to get out, and Gion catches it with his face and flings it, and ends up winning his match. It's like great. That was a really good part. That was a great moment. There's some there's some there's some really charming parts of these characters, even though they're very simple. Yeah, and it's a very like. It's a very, like, typical kind of show. Yeah. I wish it was just a little more machismo-driven. Like, I wish we got more moments, like, Yon deflecting the ball with his forehead. A little a little more of the, like, very aggressive... Yeah, just a little more, like, goofy, overly shonen bits. But it's still good without them. Um, mm-hmm. It just feels a little... Tame right oh, now? It feels a little tame from time to time, yeah. Uh, like there sh- Like, there should be just a little bit more. Like no, like no violence. Like they're not, they're they're not like delinquents no, or anything. But no fighting. Definitely a lot more, a lot more yelling, a lot more kind of like aggressiveness. Yeah, because I feel like there's there's large swaths of the story that you could summarize very quickly. I think, um, and it needs more like moments that spark. I get moments that pop a little bit. That's okay. what I think. Yeah. All right. But man, do those boys look buff and handsome? Oh, they are so buff as long as they keep their clothes yeah. on. Yeah. They look good as long as we never have to see their backs. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are chiseled all weird. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun. It's really fun. It's it's not going to change sports. No. But it it plays into sports well, I think. Yeah, it does. It's got that sweet rock and roll soundtrack. I think they just have one song. <laughs> it's got such a classic rock sound from its opening to its background music. It's so like ACDC. Yeah, it really is. There's one song that I think is pretty much just literally Thunderstruck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, there's no two ways around it. Mm-hmm. And I think that also plays into it as, like, that sort of hard rock, like, you know, guitar thing also feels very, like, we need to make this seem extreme and cool for the 2000s audience. Yeah. yeah. And it is. It is extremely cool for the 2000s audience, which I am. Right. Clearly. It's good though. Yeah. Uh, there's there's not much to say really about it though. No, is the thing. And so we reach the the maximum limit of exclamation points in, in anything ever. Yeah, if you put more in, the it crash overloads. It's Keijo with eight. Yeah. So you, uh, against your own better judgment, watched this. I I did. Uh, I decided to watch the first episode just based on the promise of high-quality animation uh, that the trailer brought about. And it delivered. Uh, The first episode, I think, did at least. And it was a really, really strong first episode. And it was very a very palatable first episode, which I think is especially important for me going in. Um, Basically the story, it's a sports academy story. Um, except instead of being about a regular sport, it's about girls booping each other off the of platforms on uh, in a in a pool with just their their breasts and their butts. Yep. Yeah. And we got like 
we have a cast of, I guess, four main characters. There's Nozomi, who's like the really excitable kind of tomboyish character. Uh, there's Sayako, who's more like the the stern, bookwormy type character. She's not actually a, a bookworm, but, you know, that is the type of character she is. And she's also voiced by the same person that voices Papika in Flip Flappers, which is weird. Because they're totally oh, really? different huh. characters. But yeah, there you go. Uh, then there's uh, Kazane, who's like the sort of shy, soft-spoken, but very smart character. And there's Nan, who's like the, the goofy character who doesn't doesn't quite seem on the same intellectual level as everybody else. Okay. Uh, the, the southern sweet, the, the goofy southern sweetheart, I guess. The southern belle. Yeah. Well, not quite belle. Um, okay. But yeah. That's the main cast. You know, all very basic characters. And I think most of the intended fun is just following these characters through very, fairly classic, uh, like, shonen sports story arcs, but it's about boobs and butts instead. Like, at one point, Nozomi, when in uh, a moment of desperation, accidentally does a super powerful move that uh, makes a tornado, like, come out of her butt, and that knocks people off a platform. Uh, I know for- Buddy, I do that every day of my life. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. It's all right. You, know, you shouldn't apologize. You should be proud. Um, <laughs> and then that, that happens, and then after that, one of the teachers comes up to her and, and she's like, that's a forbidden technique, you're not allowed to use it. And then later on, it's like, well, maybe if you really train hard, you can use it. And then she has to put on this, like, weight exercise suit. Um, and it's like, I don't know. Uh, what I liked about the first episode is that it was just, a, uh, just it was light, it was good light fun, all the characters were charming. The animation was stellar it was it was tight you know it, it has a it has a nice thick consistent line work that i really like uh just good animation good shot composition that was all really nice um and it was surprisingly wholesome that's what i especially liked about the first episode because obviously you know it's it's a fan service anime right yeah with a premise like this yeah there's wholesome's not the word that comes to my mind there's no way you could get around that but i think for the most part they keep the fans' service very respectable. It helps that these are all adults, I think, first and foremost. Um, but they keep it they keep it very simple. They're, the first episode felt like it had very little forced fan service in there. Like, anytime there was a sexy shot of one of the characters, it felt like it just made sense for the shot to be like that anyway. And the fan service is secondary. It's just a, a good or bad byproduct, depending on how you look at it. Uh, there were a couple bad shots, like there was, there were a couple really unfortunate camel toe shots in the first episode, but other than that, uh, I was so okay with it that it almost felt intentional. Like they were intentionally trying to make it very wholesome and acceptable. Uh, so that was very good, and I enjoyed it a lot. But then after that, well, first of all, the plot is just kind of whatever. Like what I said earlier, it's a very standard school, uh, like sports academy story, but the joke is that it's butts instead of baseball bats or whatever. And I, you know, that, it's not very interesting. Like, there's nothing special about it other than that fact that it's a, a kind of an out there sport, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the fan service also just gets a lot worse. Um, like, when she does the butt tornado attack, some, uh, everyone else who's on the platform gets their, uh, swimsuit torn off by it. Um, I don't remember any, any like particular other moments where there was one in episode five that was really bad that I think I may have misread, but 
the way what I thought happened is uh, two characters make butt contact and stay there, and then the main character was one of them, who's one of them in that scenario, uh, Nozomi. Uh, she starts doing a thing where her butt vibrates really fast, and I, at first, what I thought happened, and I'm honestly not sure, is she used that to bring the other person to orgasm to distract them. Uh oh. It certainly seemed that way from how it was directed. Like we got a low, okay. we got a low angle right as the other character lost their balance. Um, mm-hmm. it was just, I mean, the angle itself was already bad enough. Uh. But, you know, there was also that. And then that made me so mad that I watched a whole other episode and realized that it was just kind of boring, and that's when I quit. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's boring, and it's kind of gross. And, you know, only one of those is good enough for me to quit. And I kept watching it mostly because it's very digestible. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, that to hear that, like, they skip, like, like two volumes worth of content a to lot. get to the first episode. Yeah, they really wanted to get that first match in there as soon as possible. Because from what I understand, it takes very long for the manga to get to its first fight. Yeah, I couldn't imagine with a show like this not starting with the best fucking foot you could. Yeah. Because even with a premise like this, you really have to sell that. You do, yeah. Like, not only to people who are skeptical of it, but people who are really excited. You need to sell that. Yeah. So I get it. Like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You don't want to make a show like this boring. Right. That's That That would be the biggest crime. Yeah. I mean, they still did in my eyes, but they, they certainly started off about as good as they could have. Right. And it seems like there are even people who wouldn't generally like this sort of thing that are like, yeah, the action is, you know, the action is really good. And that's, you know. The action doesn't stay good, by the way. I think it's just the first couple episodes and it really starts to drop off. It is nice, though, that, like, something with this sort of thing has elements to it that even like people who aren't really into it can enjoy yeah totally like i was way into the the fight in the first episode i was getting excited about these butts <laughs> they did a, like a torpedo attack yeah uh there's that one where that woman just twists her body like 180 degrees yeah. with her butt in someone's face <laughs> there's a part where someone does an attack really fast and hits someone and it makes like a bone snapping sound. That's kind of funny. Isn't there an aura 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 of butts? Uh, yeah, there, that is one entire episode is focused on how one of the main characters can't do the butt slam fast enough. That's cool. Can't do enough auras. Um, I will say one thing that I think is uh, good. The show is, even when the animation quality starts to dip a little bit, uh, the show is very good about making the fights look dynamic. Which is something that the what, what I've seen of the manga uh, really struggles with. The manga has very stiff uh, direction, so to speak. Like just the composition of shots is very stiff. Not a lot of complicated angles, and that that hurts it a little bit. And I guess the anime doesn't have that problem. That's good. Yeah. One problem it did have is that I think it was it wasn't encoded properly because you know, like I said, the line work is very sharp. And on my screen, it looked really heavily interlaced. And at first, I thought that was just an issue with my laptop, because it's not a full 1080 screen. So it would just, like, because the lines are so sharp, just kind of get squished weird. But I saw other people mention it, too. So, yeah, that's just kind of a weird thing. Some weird, like, anti-aliasing, interlacing stuff going on. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. I know know some early seasons of TQ have that, too. Yeah. On Crunchyroll. It's so strange. But yeah, Keijo. Um, I don't know. It's better than I thought it was going to be, but parts of it are still very bad. Okay. 
Sure. Uh, let's let's do a quick uh, call in to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh yeah. There's not a ton to talk about. I feel we're really getting into the Kira plotline, but not the, the parts that are interesting. Hmm. I think. So okay, so since last time we we met uh, Mikitaka, the the alien. Uh huh. He's a he's a charming enough character. Um, maybe mostly for the fact that no one believes him, so they yeah. keep playing into this idea that he might be a crazy stand user. <laughs> but really, he's just like oh, I w- I just want to learn about stuff. Also, I have these ridiculously insane powers. Yeah. Uh, then we have Highway Star or Highway Go Go. That is what they call them. That is fun for maybe the the highlight of Rohan's existence, which is letting his house burn down just so he can figure out how Josuke is cheating so he can, like, steal all his money. <laughs> because Josuke has come to his house using Mikitaka as a pair of loaded dice to, uh, to take a whole bunch of money from Rohan, and Rohan is ready to sacrifice everything to just fucking one-up Josuke. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fun. That's a really great thing about his character. I think that's, like, where his assholery really shines. That's my Rohan. Ah, oh, I love him. And Highway Gogo is, like, it's a weird, weird fight, but it's maybe one of the more interesting ones where it's, like, not a typical sort of stand fight. Yeah. Because it's it's all about the fact that you have to be faster than this thing, it's all about tracking, and then it's about um, threatening a, a man who's in a hospital, <laughs> like, for a lot of broken bones. Yeah. Tell you what, uh, jumping what? back in after having not watched maybe three or four or five episodes was a trip, uh-huh. even, though, even though I knew what was going to happen because I read the manga. Like, I left out on uh, Kira fighting a plant, and when I come back, there... When I come back, there's a guy shooting a gun out of a piece of paper, <laughs> yep. and Jojo can't, Josuke can't bite his lower lip, and there's just a <laughs> lot going on all of a sudden. Yeah, so let's. So the next up is the uh, the cats love Kira mm-hmm. bit, where uh, a cat gets hit with the stand arrow and then dies, Rip. and then is buried and reborn as a cat plant. Yes. That can shoot. That can control air. Yeah. And it's it's a weird ass thing because like, uh, Kira decides he's not going to kill it, but instead keep it in his attic. Yeah. And his kid gets suspicious because the dude because Kira's coming in with cat food all the time and going up to the <laughs> attic, and he almost dies because of it and realizes, okay, this is especially not my dad. <laughs> and so that that pushes him forward to figure out what's going on. Which then pushes some other details later on, like Rohan doing all his surveillance pictures. And we're currently, I think, three-fourths into this next arc, which is the July 15th uh, Everything Happens arc. Yeah. So in it, we have Josuke and friends fight the Radio Tower Man. Yeah. Which is... that That's, that's also a very interesting, like, non-typical stand... Because you don't see a lot of stands, at least before this, that don't that that are not controlled by anyone, right? And because it's an inanimate object, like suddenly it's it's dealing with something much greater than just a dude. Like you can't just beat up a dude and win. I mean, they end up kind of beating up a dude and winning, but you can just beat up a tower and win. No, well, no, because the the trick is the tower uh, returns all damage done. Oh, it. that's right. Yeah, and so that's fucked up. Which then leads to all kinds of stuff with Mikitaka, and then uh, during this time, um, Josuke's mom is kidnapped by a real creep mm-hmm. 
as is Koichi. And uh Rohan gets his house fixed. <laughs> the the one thing that keeps it going. And I that that fight with the Enigma or whatever, the guy with the paper. I don't know. That it's just that's just a gambit that I I don't like. Welcome to my world. Like I think we talked this a little bit. The particular gambit, not only with this one, but with the um the stand that Rohan is fighting right now, yeah. the one that sticks to his back. Mm-hmm. Like, there's such ridiculous gambits and, like, conceptually hard to, like, get through how they win that I just... It's really hard to get into. This is how I feel about every JoJo fight. <laughs> That's fair. But I feel like these ones in particular are, like, really stretching the limits of what right now the paper one's really is bad, appropriate think, for a yeah. stand fight. I think the back the the back one I think is okay, uh, in my opinion. Until until it gets to how it ends, because I still really don't quite get how that works. Mm-hmm. I don't get how it wins, but like I think it is a clever setup for like a stand. Yeah, because it's also a stand that is not controlled by anyone and is basically just there to ruin lives. <laughs> uh. It also is the second stand in the series that just sucks out nutrients of people. Oh yeah, yeah. Araki already running out of ideas. God. How's he going to keep the show going for another four, three, no, four. (laughs) I was going to say for another four (laughs) series, but that also. Yeah. Though, again, they're teasing with the new opening, which uh, is all right. Yeah, I thought I like it best out of the three we've had so far. I think it just loses a bit of energy as soon as it's out of the breakdown, breakdown bit. And maybe that's just because there's not as, like, big drums and stuff and guitar. But. Uh, there seems to be a tease at a part five, which is not surprising. No. That they would do a part five anime at this point. I think it's gonna they're happen. They're over the, they're over the big fourth hump. They're gonna just do all the rest of it. Yeah, exactly. And that might be interesting to see because I know, especially for like, uh, people getting into JoJo's now, they just got like a really good translation of part five. Yeah. And those previously kind of have no idea how part five goes. <laughs> uh huh. Because, like, the, the, the scanlations were just really bad, mm-hmm. and so it is a way to see it. And I think it's maybe where uh, Araki gets a, a much better grip on the weird stands. Yeah, and just on storytelling in general. Yeah, because I think early on in in Part 4, you see him, like, start to experiment with stands in a way that's, like, very... It's still very, like, fight-based. Yeah. And then as it starts to get into the weirder gambits, you start to see kind of weird weird issues now like in this in this story mm-hmm. and i think by the time part five hits he he does have a better grasp of that yeah but yeah it's i don't know part four is still going i wish i could like i'm kind of excited to see it end oh I, damn I, I'm, I'm kind of ex- that here's the thing though it's just i don't know maybe it's because i've read it i just don't i'm not excited as much about the animated version yeah, me neither. you know what i mean like it's hard to like enjoy something for me I guess. This is something that I don't think most people have a problem with. I have a real problem with enjoying something, like, twice in the exact same way. Uh, if it, like, if the two times I'm experiencing it are in close proximity to each other, then yes. But otherwise, not necessarily. Like, I don't know, it just feels like this, this has been going on so long. It has been. And it really, realistically, it hasn't. Like, it's going to be done faster than all of Part 3 was. Yeah. But it just still feels, I don't know, it just still feels long. Maybe because there was no break. That might be it. Yeah. 
But yeah, I don't know. I I do still like part four. It's fine. It's a, yeah. Um, it's not bad. I'm I'm really I'm really excited for the final fight because that's really what I'm looking forward to. Mm. Is the is the is the final fight with Kira because that's I think where sort of everything comes to a head. Um, and it's it's sort of the best of part four. Yeah, I guess when it comes when it comes to like the serious moments. Yeah, yeah, you're right when you say you know this is where everything comes to a head because very little in part four resolves until the very end. Like I never really thought about this. Maybe that's a problem with it too. Is just feeling like. There's so much, there's not much progression. Yeah, because we've been dealing with the arrow stuff all the way from the start. Yeah, and that's been going, but that really, that just kind of plateaued at some point, because a guy in a pitcher stole it, yeah. who's dead. Um, but, like, we the we get the idea, we hear, oh, there's a serial murderer going on, and then it takes till part, it takes till episode 17 to get the first hint of that. Yeah. Another... Like, month goes by until we get to Kira proper. I think the transformation of the series from a, a villain of the week structure to an actual overarching plot structure is does something to it that makes it difficult to stay invested over a very long yeah, period of time. That might be true, because I think part three, even though it was kind of blah, it was kind of bleh in its stands and the way it set it up... Mm-hmm. The one thing it really had going for it is there was a singular plot thread that still pushed everything forward. Yeah. They're getting to Egypt. In Egypt, they are searching for a thing. And sure, they end up, you know, having issues because they run into weird people who stop them. But there's still that sense of forward momentum yeah. that doesn't feel the same here. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I dropped it. I'm basically not watching anymore. Speaking of forward momentum. And of dropping. <sighs> Long Riders. I feel bad for Actis. <laughs> I feel like they should have a lot more people and money than they do. It does seem like their stuff is always going wrong. Yeah, like... Because, so the... So, Long Riders has some... Okay, so, they've got... There were six six weeks in yes. to this season. We've had two weeks where they had to delay an episode. Mm-hmm. And next week is a recap. Of the four episodes that are out. Of the four episodes that are out. Yeah. And I hear this is a a, a problem with the, even their big series, um, uh, Girls in Panzer, which had, like, two recaps, a ton of delays, like, and they keep wanting to do, like, new parts to it, but they keep having to make them movies because they don't have enough time to do TV anime. Yeah, that, seems, that seems like the opposite of a problem. Like, I don't know, it just seems like everything is against Actus making TV anime. That is true, yeah. Because they also did Regalia uh, last season, which had to get pushed all the way to this season. Oh, yeah. There's just... It's just nothing but troubles, it seems. Yeah. And that's really kind of sad. Like, I don't... I I dropped Long Riders because I wasn't really feeling it, but it's still just, like, sad just to know that this this whole thing is going on. I do feel very bad for them. Uh, there were I, I've seen, like, clips of Long Riders, and parts of it look pretty good, I think. Yeah. Uh, Long Riders doesn't look bad, it's just, like, it's very clear they're running into issues already. Like, you can just see moments where things kind of fall apart. Long Riders, I didn't get into, because I don't... I I said, I think, early on, it it would... It might fill that Kaon-shaped hole in my heart. But the thing about Kaon, compared to, I think, a lot of other Moe shows, is how much the characters pop in Kaon. Because they are... They are just a little above being typical characters, because they're, they're very chipper and young and like excitable yeah 
And it feels like long riders, so long riders, they're all in college and it just feels like they're very chill hmm. and that's not bad, but it, it doesn't give me anything when they're all sort of the same chill. Yeah. Um, one other thing is, okay. So one, one thing to have to say, uh, they do 3d a lot for biking shots mm-hmm. that have more than one character in them. And the hair is abysmal. Okay. Like it always is in 3d. Oof. Yeah. Like distractingly bad, but, um, Long Riders, uh, biggest problem I think for me is it's, it's so much less about the characters and so much more about teaching you about biking. Which is not a problem, that's just not what I'm here for. Yeah. Like, so much of it is about, because this main character is, um, uh, Ami, is like new to biking. Okay. She, she's like learning all these things and it's important that, you know, she, she like fails a lot because she's like, Oh, I didn't properly eat, and so I'm having these horrible cramps and dying on the side of the road kind of things. Like, learning a lot about what it means to bike and the different types of bikes, it's so much informative that it loses a lot of character, I think. Okay. That's my problem. Oh. That's Long Riders. I'm sorry, Actus, that you you keep getting saddled with these TV animations that you just cannot handle. I hope they get to figure this out. I hope they have a chance to sit down yeah. and, like, figure out their production timeline. Yeah, because it, it seems like all their movies and OVAs do fine, but those don't have a schedule. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. It's really starting to do a number on the... Oh, right. No, sorry. I forgot what show was up next. I, it's me again. Okay. It is let's, you again. Let's talk about something good, though. Okay. Uh, I, that I'm kind of surprised, because I, uh, before I knew anything about it, I was, like, super whatever. And this is Girlish Numbers. Yes. Girlish number, uh, I think the thing that really pushed it to, oh, I'll pick this up once I drop something else, is Girlish number is written by the guy who did my teen romantic comedy snafu. Okay. And I was super into that, and I was super into the characters he built, because they're not good people, but they're, they are very relatable, they're very human, and the main part of the story is how everyone recognizes they're bad and how they need to change. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's like that's a huge thing about that series that I got super into. Mm-hmm. And Girlish Number is a very cynical look at animation industry in general, where if anyone else had done it, I'd believe that this was like their, their last, like, fuck you to the industry <laughs> as a whole as they walk out. Yeah. But there is, there is a lot of genuine, like, I think there are a lot of genuine feelings in it that would separate it from something a little more hacky. Mm. So, Girlish Number is about um, Chitose, who is a college student and is determined to become a voice actor, uh, a voice actress. And she lands in sort of a a kind of like amateur uh, agency that is managed by her older brother, who becomes you know who is in charge of her. Okay, and it's all about her attempt to rise to greatness. And, like, that's all she's interested in. She's just interested in hitting the big time, becoming popular, and everyone loving her. All right. Um, and she has a really snotty attitude about oh. it. Uh, at every turn, she wants to act as if she's got everything under control and she's extremely popular. Okay. Like, she's already got the she's already got the ego going. That's a change of pace, at least. Yeah, but nothing to back it up. Okay. And so, uh, the, the, the main thing so far is that she worked with some veterans on as a as like a a minor role on some anime, 
and now she's been picked as the lead for a light novel adaptation that's basically um do you know the do you know the series Trails in the Sky? Yes. The RPG series? Yes. It's like that, but a harem light novel. Oh uh, okay. Like the art is like the art and the character designs are very, very reminiscent. Oh, okay. But she lands the lead role and everyone tells her it's because they see her talent, but realistically it's to it's to spend less on characters. <laughs> and so she matches up with this this um this girl who has worked with her and is like sort of the um she sort of can't handle all the the big time business like she's very shy. Uh-huh. And also this like veteran young voice actress who's been in a lot of stuff but nothing big who her main thing is that she has a southern accent. Okay. Or a Kansai accent. And then she meets up with the two big primo people that she worked with on her previous show. All right. And like the show is a disaster. Right. Like from from top to bottom Production issues. It's sort of, um, I guess Shirobaku is the closest equivalent to this because it's so much about the industry. Yeah. And what it's like to create a show. But it's like, um, in Shirobaku, they talk about the production horrors of Jiggly Jiggly Heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? It's basically if that show was being made on air. Okay. Um, it's just like, nothing's on time. Everything sucks. Um, <laughs> to start out, uh, Chitose has absolutely no ability to voice act. Oh, damn. Like every, it's just, it is great bad acting uh-huh. because everything just comes off as very like monotone, like no interest, like very like just reading it straight. It's good that that comes through even to people who don't speak Japanese. Yeah, like it's very clear that this is bad voice acting. Yeah. But like she threw sort of the she has to stay late to keep doing these retakes, hoping that they'll get something good. And eventually like she comes to the realization that she sucks. Damn. And, like, other people are willing to tell her that it's, she's bad. And she kind of goes through this moment where she looks for better ways to to be a voice actress. Uh-huh. And starts getting better. Not great, but better. Okay. And so much about the development of all of these characters, especially her, in this road to try to be popular. Because mm-hmm. they also do, like, a, a an event. They do, like, a, um, like, an event where they're handing out Blu-rays and people show up and... They do the handshake and all that. Yeah. And it's being live streamed. And when Chitose goes back to watch the, the live stream event, the, the comments go by and all of them are talking about how she's like, she's really snotty and she's, you know, she, she doesn't seem like she actually cares about anyone besides herself. And she gets really distraught over it. And, um, her brother comes home with like the papers on how she did in the show. Yeah. And she kind of throws them away and goes like, I only want to see the comments if they're praising me or if they say good things about me. And so, and, and like, that's such a, that's, that's such a thing, right? Like, that's so relatable as a character thing. Yeah. Like, to, to avoid criticism. And I think we're only five episodes in, but this is sort of where I see the turning point of real heavy character development. Okay. And that's one of the big things that, uh, Snafu did really well. Hmm. Um, is it hits a point where I think, it makes a big ultimatum on how the characters need to change and without sacrificing who they are as characters, they find ways to become better. That's good. Yeah. Like I think this author is just really, really good at what he does and I'm excited to see how Grealish number continues. Yeah. I've been, uh, what I've been hearing about, it sounds really good and I'm probably going to give it a look at some point. The animation does look really good. Let's, let's say that, uh, I think I told you this anecdote, but apparently the person who was directing it told the staff that they wanted it to look 
like Kyoani does in yeah. terms of quality. Yeah, I saw that. And interview. everyone just kind of laughed at him. Uh-huh. Laughed disdainfully. Yes, but they they're trying. Like they it does seem to be trying to hit that same thing. Yeah. It's not like you see it especially in the male characters, but there's there is enough distinguishing it that it's not like oh, this is just clearly Kiwani. Mm. But there is that flair to uh, detail yeah. that seems to come apart, especially in, like, the eyes and stuff. Okay. I don't know. It's good. All right. I'm glad I I'm glad I heard good things about it and picked it up. Yeah, me too. Finally. Last but not least. Last but not least. March comes in like a lion. Mm-hmm. Story about a man who's extremely depressed and does play shogi because he has to. Yeah, it's... It is about uh, okay. So yeah, that's that's the big thing. Is Ray is, feels completely stuck in life. Yeah, he does not want to play shogi, but he's really good at it, and he's living on his own. So he kind of has to, mm-hmm. and it makes him feel terrible. Yeah, like living does. Uh huh. And the reason he like the reason he sort of got forced into shogi is because he is uh, he was orphaned at a relatively young age. And the only option he had outside of going to an orphanage is being adopted by someone who was a professional shogi player. Um, and a friend of his father. Yeah, and Ray had shown, like, great potential to be a good shogi player. So he's kind of being pushed into this path he doesn't want to. And now he is far along that path and he is miserable because of it. And we get... I think what it what the story does well is, like, getting the glimpses into his um, his life before this... Yeah. while interspersing it with sort of what has become uh, because of it. Because mm-hmm. we don't really get any big um, big like looks into what happened before until like episode 5. Yeah. And that's where, oh man, it is just it is just soul crushing. It is. It was a really sad moment. Like once you find out, like the fact that Ray doesn't like Shogi is, is a twist. Like you don't find that out until episode 5. Yeah. Um... And it's yeah, it's really sad. And so much of it, the sh- and so much of the show is about sort of, although he has this very like depressing attitude about him, he's he's very clearly not happy. Mm-hmm. It's so much about the people who surround him that uh, try to affect his life for better. Yes. You know, like yeah. it's not. He's he still feels very isolationist. Like he's he's not comfortable with a lot of the attention he gets. But the people around him sort of show him this this like brighter side of life that occasionally like shines through to him. Yeah, I guess we should probably mention like who those are specifically. There's a a household of three sisters uh, whose parents are also dead, and I guess uh, their grandfather as well. Yeah, they live with their grandfather. Yeah, who are all these like really charming and upbeat people, and Ray often goes over there to uh, have dinner for assorted reasons. Yeah, and it's one good thing about the family is that the sisters are all at very different walks of life. One of them's in like kindergarten, one of them's in middle school, and one of them is an, uh, is a an adult who's yes, working, a young adult, to support them all. Mm-hmm. And so it gives us different perspectives on all their own lives because they, they are also, I mean, outside of the, the kindergartner who doesn't have much to worry about, they all have these very serious things still going on within them. No, you know, she does too. Yeah. I forgot. She has a very serious arc too. They're all still dealing with kind of like dark moments in their lives. Like they're not so different from him. They're just channeling it into 
this sort of like support group, yeah. whereas Ray is very isolationist, very alone. Mm-hmm. And you get that a lot when they interact is like he gets pulled into that and he sort of starts to starts to feel that same way amongst them, if nothing else. Yeah. And then there's his fat comedy relief self-proclaimed rival. <laughs> he's he's charming. He is. Yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, his introduction was a little weird. He He's a little overbearing to start. Yeah, I think that's intentional. That's part of the point. Yeah, I think who he is as a character is good. I think it's good that he has these people in his life. Even if he'd rather not, it seems like it's pushing him towards becoming a better person. Yeah. I'll tell you what the number one thing I like about this show is. Uh-huh. And it's the amount of effort that is put into making you feel the way Ray does in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, being, you know, he hates going outside. He's an isolationist, as you said. So in his apartment, the colors are simple and nice, and it's everything's fine to look at. It's also very empty. Yes. It is very empty. And then once you go outside, if it's daytime, it everything's blown out and it sucks and it's horrible and all the colors are white. <laughs> and being outside in this show is terrible. I hate it. And that's appropriate. Um, and also when he is, uh, like with, uh, the, the family of three girls or when he's with his fat friend, there's always so much going on. There's too much going on. Like everything goes so fast with these characters. Whereas when we're just with Ray, everything goes incredibly slowly. Um, and that fits too. Cause like, you know, once again, he is an isolationist. He's not really comfortable around other people. And when we as the audience are with him around other people, it's a little too much a lot of the time. And it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I, it's rare, I think, for shows to be evocative in the way March comes in like a lion is, and that's great. Yeah, you you very much feel all of Ray's uncomfortability. Like um, when the two adults that are in his dojo or whatever, like invite him out for drinks or whatever, uh-huh. and he goes along begrudgingly. Like you feel all of that. Yeah, it sucks being in that scene. A lot of a lot of this anime is feeling bad. And in, in, in very different ways. Yeah. So one thing I really like about it is um, the direction and the art style because it's, I think the PV didn't do it a lot of justice. Mm-hmm. Where the show looks a lot better as a whole. And I think the way that it does like distinct shots, like you see the sort of like in the very early episode where you see sort of like the, I don't know what to call it, but like the, just the, um the, the black and white sort of like shot of him under that bridge, like, uh, as the wind blows by. Yeah. Like, that sort of thing is really evocative. The the way they use, like, the black and white to show, you know, sort of ra- the the horrors that Ray feels, as you know, mm-hmm. in life. Like, just, there's so much of it that, like, points to these different, like, emotions. And it just, like, really grabs you. I'll tell you what. You remember mm-hmm. that I said that I have one really hot take left? Uh-huh. Well, this is it. Um, oh, no. I am tired of director Akiyuku Shimbo's bag of tricks because I feel like it's running out and he's been doing the same thing over and over again. Okay, so I was actually going to talk about the direction you start. Um, well, you know, having now seen more of the Monogatari series than I feel like I ever wanted, which is any at all, but I've seen a lot, um, he just kind of does the same things over and over again, like the weird letterboxing stuff. The white on black stuff, um, the, the dot coloring, uh, 
I'm trying to think of some of the other stuff. Just like the the sudden heavy use of red and other single color shading. A lot of the like the heavy the heavy cuts too, like just kind of um very rapid. Yeah. Rapid scene sh- changes. Yeah, usually and often between like repeating movements as well. Uh, these are all his calling cards, and I think it's fine for a director to have calling cards. And I don't necessarily even think this these sort of things have to be repetitious. Uh, but mm-hmm. they're all very specific. Like these things he does are very specific, and they don't, they haven't really evolved all that much in the past. I don't know how long. Like Monogatari, Madoka, and now this, they all have very similar things going on, and it's, it's starting to lose its edge, I feel. So the only reference I have for this is Monogatari and uh, Arakawa Under the Bridge. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of like Arakawa in this. Yeah. But I, I'm. I don't think I'm as down on it as you. Like, I definitely recognize, like, oh, yeah, that's that's the thing that's he does. That's the thing. But I do think in a lot of ways, just the way it's handled in different types of series affects it. Yeah. Like, having only released... Having seen it in a comedy series with Arakawa and whatever I watched of Monogatari, like, it still doesn't feel, like, overused to me. Okay. But I can understand why you, you've you got more shows under the belt that mm-hmm. he's worked on. And I think with certain emotions and moods that they're trying to reach in uh, March Comes In Like a Lion, I think it is effective. It is effective. They do use it appropriately. Um, I especially liked, I think it was in episode five, uh, when it's, um, oh, I don't remember what it was a metaphor for. Oh, yeah, it was a metaphor for him uh, going from one league of shogi players to the next and it was about swimming from one island to the next. Uh-huh. And there was just a part where it was like just a fi- a 10 second silent cut of seeing uh, Ray swimming in the distance through the, this red crayon ocean. And that was really good because that's something I've never really seen from Akiyuki Shimbo before. Uh, mm-hmm. That was one in particular something, I liked. Something contemplative, something, or not contemplative, but something where you just get to reflect. Yeah. It's a quiet moment in an otherwise very surprisingly fast-moving series. It is, yeah. It was just perfect, because it, it, it caught me by surprise. Like, it, once I noticed it, that suddenly everything was quiet and taken a while, you know? Mm-hmm. It was really different. And that was cool. I think something also good about it is just every character has, like, a role to them where it doesn't feel like they're ever, like, stacking on top of each other, and they all affect Ray's life slightly differently. Yeah, total. Uh, yes, especially the three sisters are all very different. Yeah, and I like, like that. you know, one of them is very frantic, sort of um, absent-minded, and kind of pushes that on to him. Like, um, I think it's episode two where uh, she wakes up late yeah. and suddenly has to make lunch for him, and it's like, uh, here's this rice ball I made, and it's just like a, it's just like a head-sized ball of rice with nori <laughs> slapped on it. Yeah. And it's like, I don't really know what this is, but this will be a good side dish. And it's just a sausage. Like, <laughs> like she's just holding a sausage, not wrapped. It's not in anything. It's just like, here you go. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. Uh, you, you see this, um, with Akari, she's very supportive. She's very motherly as a figure. Yes. And really wants to take care of him. And then with Momo, it's just, you know, it's, it's just the, the child character. And that's fine. The small baby. Yeah. Yeah. Who who recognizes, I think, more than sometimes the other two sisters, the the like 
parts where Ray is really just not able to yeah. to handle his emotions. Mm-hmm. And they're just really good vignettes between them. Yeah, there are. God, that the the episode five, just the all the flashback is gonna like haunt me. It forever. was yeah, that was really bad. It's so it's it's so like emotional and like in a very like I've said this with a lot of shows, but it's just a very relatable way. It's very relatable, yeah. Momo cried, everybody cried, and I also cried. And just like the the idea of like accidentally being so good at something that you you inadvertently like it's not even his fault because it's the fault of the family he's belongs to mm-hmm. but through his actions he ends up like really making this animosity with this family in you know in between every every member and yeah. it's just like it it can't help him it's horrible it sucks yeah and that comes back later because uh that daughter seems very intent on just making him miserable yeah yeah she's the worst yeah, and, and like I think that she she's supposed to be a bad character. I yeah, think that's part of it, right? And I think she plays that role well. But it's just like it adds on to this very real idea that he just struggles with so so much, mm-hmm. and never feels like it's just being like, oh, we just need to make him sadder. Yeah, you know, we just need to make it worse for him. It does feel like this is just like a bad string of life. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> what a good good show. It's very good. Yeah. Absolutely. And the opening and ending are really good. Mm-hmm. I think, like, visually and also the songs. Like, I'm, sometimes I'm hearing people bust on Bump a Chicken. I can't allow for that. Yeah, like, like, they do sort of one thing, which is, like, very moody rock. Yeah. But they do it really well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when, when used appropriately, it's very good. And in this case, the opening and ending both are just very strong and evocative. Yes, absolutely. I don't know how anyone could bust on Bump a Chicken in a world where, like, every other show has either a crappy J-Rock or a crappy J-EDM song in it. That's just my opinion, though. All right, and that's all the shows we've been watching. It's a lot because we dropped a lot and picked up a lot. But I'm, I think, curating it, curating our lists from the beginning, I think we've come out with some really good shows this season. Yes, absolutely. It's a strong season. It It is a strong season, and... Maybe not in the shows that we expected to be strong, but there are a lot of things that filled that space. There were surprise hits. There's shows that I ended up picking up thinking that they were never going to be good, and there's still some shows left that I hear are good that I haven't picked up, like Izetta. Yeah, I, yeah, I keep hearing really good things about Izetta as like a war drama, mm-hmm. which I don't know. Maybe I'll look into it, but I've got so many shows. Still. I got so much to do, man. I got to catch up on all of Natsume. I got to watch Legend of Galactic Heroes at some point. That's 110 episodes. Yeah, that's so many. Uh, but we're going to do it for you. I mean, I, well, maybe not for you. Sometimes sometimes we just watch anime for us. Yeah. All right, but um, this has been going on a bit long. Uh-huh. So I think we're going to skip fan mail this uh, this time, and we'll we'll catch up with it next time. Yeah. Because the, the, like the, the preview shows never go quite this long. No, usually not. But yeah, so this has been Coco Disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, you can find us on all of your favorite uh, podcast readers, like iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Uh, leave a review if you feel so inclined. We we would like some, you know, we want some validation. Let's just be upfront about it. Validate us. Make us feel good. Or make us feel bad, you know. Criticism yeah. is useful. Um, yeah. And you can find us at Coco underscore Disaster at Twitter. We don't post a ton. Uh, mostly we post uh, the episodes and some really dumb jokes. Mm-hmm. But if you want, like, send in critiques and stuff. We're willing to listen to people who think that there are better things we could do better about this show. 
whether it be like limiting the time we talk about stuff or, you know, feeling like we should talk more about themings or, you know, particular parts of shows, we we want to hear it. We want to know how we can make this better for you. Absolutely. And if you just want a place where you can find all the information ever, you can go to cocodisaster.com. It's very nice. Yeah, it's it's very nice. It'll always have our latest episode. And one thing that doesn't always pop up in like the Twitter stuff is or the um or our like timestamps is what shows we talk about, especially in the preview episodes. So if you want to see like what we're looking forward to, that's an easy resource that you can use for that. And it's got links to everywhere else. And it's got the uh fan mail email, which is uh sa at gmail.com. And so you can send us fan mail questions there that we will eventually read on the show. That's right. Until next time, though, I've been Chorpsoy. And I've been Jordan. And this is Coco Disaster. Do we have a tagline yet? We never came up with a tagline. The world's tastiest anime podcast. Oh, well, like a a send-off one. Oh, okay. Sweet dreams. <laughs>